I'm the mischievous Mark Ginocchio, and I own every issue of The Amazing Spider-Man, and they all count. And I'm the available Alan Shurstel, and I think I still own a handful of print issues of Amazing Spider-Man still in the basements and attics of parents and in-laws across this great nation of ours. But Mark, what is ownership anyway, especially of a character like Spider-Man, who despite what Disney copyright lawyers would argue, truly belongs to the collective imagination, to all of us. And that is a truth that uh, I believe exposes the fallacy of your ongoing question of whether or not annuals count. All the issues count, Mark. If you believe they do, they don't count if you believe they don't. Since we all own Spider-Man, we all can choose. Wow. Everyone can enjoy that, Alan. Well, thank you, and thank you to you, the listeners, for joining us for this very special anniversary episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. It has been 10 years since Dapper Dank of Ozden and I first sat down, begrudgingly, I might add, to record the first episode of the then Superior Spider Talk. Yes, Mark, but first on this very special episode, there is some bittersweet news we have to announce. As you may have noticed, listeners... The spider slack is hanging at half-mast this week. First, the bitter truth, the bitter news. Not an imaginary story, not a what if. Over the past few months, you've known that Dapper Dan Gavazdan became Daddy Dan Gavazdan. But this weekend, he unfortunately became deceased Dan Gavazdan. It turns out that sadly... Dan was unable to check the solicitations of his life to discover that he was going to be crushed to death by a truck carting unsold copies of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Annual 2. I shouted look out a couple times, implying some sort of meaning, but it wasn't enough. It turns out in this one instance, reading the solicitations and speculating about lookouts would have actually been a worthwhile endeavor. Oddly enough... That was the second annual issue released that year, and I warned Dan about that when I reminded him week after week that the annuals didn't count. However, it was on that day we all, and Dan especially, learned the ultimate lesson, that with great quantities of unsold annual issues must also come counting the great amount of weight that is crushing your co-host to death. Rest in peace, Dan. In your honor... We've hurled your body into the nearest smokestack where I'm sure it will lay in a restful, ashy sleep. But this is comics. We did not see the body. But now to the suite. With Dan's departure, I've begged Alan to not only replace him, 
but to make the show better than it's ever been. And that means a new number one of Amazing Spider Talk, a new Chrome logo, and so much more. It's Amazing Spider Talk, but without all the nerdy nitpicking, endless speculation, uh, annoying sound effects and criticisms of my microphone not working, the retakes and the, oh, the late nights. I'm on the East Coast. He's on the West Coast. Alan, when does it end? Anyway, it's a new it's a new era, Amazing Spider Talk. That is right, Mark. And to mark this special, historic, totally radical milestone episode, we are joined by legendary comic book creator Rob Liefeld to kick off a new era of amazing Spider Talk. Hey, it's Rob. You guys, I just wanted to give a shout out to the amazing Spider Talk as it rallies from the uh, unexpected tragedy, rises from the ashes like a phoenix. Come on, gotta, gotta, gotta squish all the Marvel references I can in here. For Mark and Alan, I just wish you guys all the best as you continue the amazing Spider Talk going into its 10th year. Congratulations, you guys. We will all be tuning in. You can never get enough Spider Talk. You can never get enough Spider-Man. Wishing you all the best, Mark and Alan. Don't get caught up in the web. I'm so funny. Take care. Wow. I mean, you know, you hear about what a legend he is and then... Bam, he just comes through right there. Thanks, Rob, for that heartfelt and sincere well wishes for Departed Dan and the future of Amazing Spider Talk. The titular Amazing Spider Talk just got even more amazing with Rob's presence and our new number one, which also simultaneously marks our return to legacy numbering at the same time somehow. Mark, Alan, I've returned and I'm stronger than ever. I saw everything. I no longer need to read solicitations and speculate wildly about the future of Spider-Man. In death, it was all revealed to me. First, I saw my life flash before my eyes. And honestly, it was way too many images of me fighting with Spider-Man Twitter. But then cosmic knowledge came to me and it is only now that I can fully understand the final chapter of the Nick Spencer run on Amazing Spider-Man. That's impossible. Now you need to prove these powers to us, Dan. Mark, you don't understand. Just the words describing what actually happened in those comics alone are potent enough to liquefy your brain where you stand. But I, I saw it all. And with great power comes great responsibility. Well, nobody wants to see that happen, Dan. Uh, you know, guys, uh, I, I think I've had about enough of this. Uh Dan, when you asked me to help fake your own death, I thought it would be fun and exciting like Spider-Man comics, but it turned out to be kind of unsettling and slapdash and a little soiling for all of us like Spider-Man comics. So I think I'm going to start my own uh, my own five part podcast now, uh, not with you, not with Mark, but with that guy who sent you all those creepy packages and stalker notes a few years back. And he and I are going to talk about the comics that really matter. And that, of course, is uh, Peter Gallagher's brilliant, baffling daily Heathcliff strips. Would there be a wreck raft without the garbage ape from Heathcliff? <laughs> Still, I'm glad to have you back, Dan. Happy anniversary. If you ever do get uh, Liefeld on for real, can you guys please do this for me? Can you show him a panel of Mary Jane's hair from his run and also show him a basket of sweet potato curly fries and ask him to explain what the difference is? Garbage ape out! 
Who promoted Alan to co-host in my absence anyway? Well, good good luck with your departure, Alan. I, I'm so thrilled to be back just in time to celebrate our oversized, monumental, groundbreaking 10th anniversary episode of Amazing Spider Talk. I even left out the word traumatizing, maybe because I'm moving past this whole solicits thing. But before we get to reminiscing about Mark and my friendship and the history of Spider Talk, we wanted to find the perfect topic for our 10th anniversary episode. So like most 10th anniversary comics, we we thought gimmicks let's talk about them all right dan we're going to talk gimmicks as you mentioned and let's just let's just start by saying who knows gimmicks in comic books better than me as as some of our listeners may or may not know and i think this might even predate the amazing spider talk dan uh for several years i had a column at uh, cbr called Gimmick or Good, where I looked at different gimmick covers of comics, not just Spider-Man, but all 90s comics like, you know, the chromium, the the foil, the 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 lenticular, the 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 poly bags with trading cards, X-Force number one. And I reviewed the contents of those comics to determine if the comic was really only popular because of the gimmick cover or because the comic itself was actually good. So we're going to kind of do a riff on that for our 10th anniversary, because as as Dan and I discovered when we were kind of just having a, a moment of what are we going to do for the 10th anniversary episode? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we were like, it's the aluminum anniversary. So aluminum, it's like chromium. It's like metallic. I mean, it's it's so 90s, right, Dan? I mean, we got to just do it, right? We're leaning into it, right? The 10th anniversary of dating my wife is coming up, and I'm I'm already thinking about what comic book I get her. <laughs> no, there she you would go. murder yes. me. Yeah, she yeah. would murder me. Yeah, very, but... very excited by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, very excited. Yeah, no, I think I think this column was uh was born like squarely in the superior era of our show. That that brief uh, segment. I, I love this column. I, I think it predates you, Dan, because I I use that to launch Chasing Amazing into like some visibility and then you know you found me of course by uh talking about stegron but like i i have to imagine you know i have to imagine that's where you found me but like either way it's it's all like it's all smushed together in the same like general timeline for sure totally well it was it was a great column i i do want to add on to what you're saying in our discussion today which is i don't think necessarily we're even talking about individual issues and their quality necessarily although we're going to do that but we're going to kind of talk about like major gimmicks uh, as we call them that have been existed throughout Spider-Man's history and whether that gimmick itself has ended up kind of transcending gimmick and being like an actual good trope for the series as a whole. So we can talk about it kind of on two levels, you know, because some of these gimmicks I think are things we think positively on whether or not the comic is great. And others are things that like, I think have become real, parts of the mythos that plague us as comic readers. So like, what are some of the gimmicks that might fall, you know, under this kind of umbrella as we're establishing it? Yeah, I, I, I do think it's worth clarifying, Dan, because yes, when I did it for CBR, I was looking specifically at like gimmicky covers, like, like, you know, 
like visual gimmicks, but we're talking, like you said, more like thematic gimmicks. So things like milestone and anniversary issues of Spider-Man, like our anniversary episode of Amazing Spider Talk or major status quo traumatizing changing events uh, as as the current <laughs> editorial uh, regime would refer to them as or new number ones, you know, all new, all exciting Spider-Man, you know, uh, we, we've seen that before. Or how about a new costume with new powers or just new powers or just the new costume? We've had many of those over the years. And we're going to talk about some of the more significant ones in that regard. And then, of course, like the huge, all-encompassing crossover issues that like bring in other characters and other comic book series. I mean, you know, we just got through one with Dark Web and, you know, Lord knows that's a classic. I mean, <laughs> we'll be talking about that at our 20th anniversary, I'm sure. Yeah, we're going to be like talking about things like that. And we're going to we're going to talk about, like you said, Dan, like the gimmick itself, not necessarily like it's a it's a bad comic book, but like these these ideas, these thematic tropes and how they've been de deployed. We're going to kind of look at some of the more significant ones over the years and and kind of talk about the 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 longevity of it and, and and how it's used in this context and kind of how it's been used since then. So uh, this is going to be fun. I love talking about stuff like this. So I, I, I hope our listeners enjoy it. And Dan, I hope you enjoy it. I hope I'm not going to bore you with this. No, no, I'm really excited about it. I, I One more thing before we get into it is like, I really hope people uh, approach this in good faith because, you know, we're going to call some of your favorite issues gimmicks. And that's not to say that it's a bad issue, you know, like gimmicks have their place, not only in like the realm of like comic enjoyment. A lot of us first started reading these comics because of a gimmick. Like my first amazing Spider-Man had a gold foil cover and I bought it because it had a gold foil cover. And without that, maybe I wouldn't be here today. You know, I, I'd probably be have a full head of hair and, you know, have many kids. I, who, who knows I'm, what, how I would have reinvested my life. Was you it know, a gold like foil and an anniversary, Dan? It was. It was a combo. See, look at that. Like the, the double gimmick. And also to say like from like a sales point, like we look at gimmicks as like, I think gimmick is kind of defined as like almost like a cheap way of, of boosting sales that has nothing to do with the like internal story not necessarily. It is some hook that will get a person to pick up a comic. You know, in the 90s, it became a real sign, you know, of a way of like hyping something up so it could get on the, you know, the, the market at a higher sale price and, and boost, you know, speculation and all that stuff. But like, uh, and I always come back to this. I think one of the most interesting conversations we've ever had on the show was with Tom Brennan talking about that Barack Obama uh, cover, uh, which was a, a huge gimmick and a very successful one at that. But it then led to them being able, it sold so well, they could have kept their staff on longer and maintained more people in the spider office and gimmicks have their place in keeping people employed as well. And I, I always think about that no matter what we're talking about. Not that it's my job to keep in mind other people's jobs, but these gimmicks exist for a corporate reason as well, which is fairly transparent, but doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing if the comic is also good, you know? Absolutely. Well, well, Dan, do you want to just dive right into this and, and start dissecting some 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 gimmicks, if you will? 
Yeah, well, so how did we, we're going to go, let's start with the first one, but how did we determine these? Like you and I chatted about it and we kind of were like, uh, like what What are the things that reoccur throughout Spider-Man's history is kind of how we figured these out? Yeah, I, I feel it was like, what are some of the recurring gimmicks? Not, I, I think it's in Spider-Man history, but also like superhero comics in general and kind of where they originated in the lineage of Spider-Man. I think that's more kind of at least my, my, my philosophy and how we approached it. And, and, you know, for the record, like, you know, the examples we're about to give, I mean, we chose them because they're, they're the first within Spider-Man, you know what I mean? Like, so, so like, it's not necessarily that these are the quote unquote most gimmicky of the gimmicks. It's, it's like, well, they did it first. And I, I think this is the, to, to kick this conversation off, you know, we're going to talk about something that Dan, we have talked about multiple times on this show. We've, we've actually reviewed two of these kinds of issues in real time, which is kind of shocking to me considering it's only been 10, it's been 10 years and we've only done two of these, but we've talked about, I think all of the others in one shape or form over the other. And that is of course the centennial issue. So we're going to start with amazing Spider-Man number 100, which was the original centennial. And I have to admit, I, I, I chuckle at the fact that on the cover of this one, and this is part of the reason why we chose it, it was like, okay, so Centennial, what's the big deal? But it's advertised as the quote-unquote long-awaited 100th anniversary issue. That's right. One, I mean, I hear 100th anniversary, I think of 100 years, but it's not, a, it's not the Centennial. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, 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 it's just pure Stan Lee, like over, overselling. And of course, like, Amazing Spider-Man number 100. It's got that iconic cover of of by Ramita with with Spider-Man kind of, you know, crawling across the cover with all of the the floating heads of guilt and villains and shame and everything else in the background. What what else kind of sticks out to you about this issue, Dan? Well, I mean, I I want to say like I think of the Centennial issues, this is probably the least gimmicky of them all. Like the cover is probably the most gimmicky part. Of the whole issue. I mean, yes, there is a story in it where Spider-Man, you know, gets rid of his powers and ends up growing extra arms. And, and maybe you could lump that into like alternate costumes as, as that arm. It's variant a shock has been ending, Dan. Shocking. It is a shock ending. I mean, shock I, was, ending, I yeah. was traumatized by it, frankly. I mean, the first time I read it, I was so traumatized by it. Well, I, I'm sorry to hear that, Mark. Yeah, I mean, so this one doesn't really stand out to me as like the most gimmicky, but it it did set the precedent. The, you know, every centennial issue since this one has really been treated special, whether they're double sized or extra large issues. And and this one, I, I, it, my, my understanding, I, I don't remember exactly. It's not any longer than a normal issue. And, you know, to the point that it had a follow up in 101 and also kind of saw off the creative team. And, you know, it's a, a, a bit of a mess of an issue, frankly, you know, that Ramita cover is really iconic and has been repeated many times over the years. So, I mean, in, in terms of like gimmick, this one is not a huge gimmick to me. It's if on anything, honestly, I think it's a bit of a letdown of an issue. Like I, I would kind of want something with a little more, like more representative of the cover on the inside. Like if I pick this up, 
I, I might have been a little disappointed, you know, like, like in its celebratory nature. I'm going to push back a little bit on that because, I mean, there are moments and and this was uh, aptly pointed out as a call in from former Spider-Man writer Kevin Shinnick on our 100th episode of Amazing Spider Talk, where he was like, may you be visited by your villains of the past throughout your episode. And, and, and so, like, I... There is an acknowledgement like, you know, Spider-Man kind of, you know, he fights the Kingpin and the Goblin and like others show up and it's kind of like he's haunted by the ghosts of Spider-Man past and whatnot. I mean, it's 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 a little bit of a retrospective, but yeah, it's I, I understand what you're saying. It's not it's it's probably in terms of the actual story beyond like the final visual of the six armed Spider-Man. It's probably the the least memorable of all the centennial issues that we would get over the last, you know, 60 years. Although I, I maybe the most recent one, uh, 900 would, would, would pushes it down a little bit. I don't know. I, 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 I guess we'll see in a few years. <laughs> I but, mean, who could forget this issue starts it's Morbin time. I mean, where we, we wouldn't have that meme without, uh, without this issue. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe the most apropos thing about this issue from a personal history standpoint is I bought this comic. I have a beautiful, gorgeous copy of this comic. And as I've talked about on Chasing Amazing and and maybe even on the show before, Dan, it's like I don't remember where I got it, which is shocking to me because you would think like a comic like that and especially in the condition that I have it in, I would remember like was it at a comic book show, at a comic book store? Where Like where did I get this thing? It's like I, I, I just – Remember looking in my comic book box as I was like collating all my comics like 20, 30 years ago and be like, oh, wow, look at that. I have 100 (laughs) and I have no other recollection (laughs) of it. And, and, and you know, like I said, it's probably one of my better looking Silver Age comics that I own. it's, It's like a fine, very fine comic. It set the precedent, like you said, like from this point on, like every centennial issue you know, in addition to being like double sized, like there was always some kind of like significant storyline point, either a new character was being introduced or a character was dying off like the burglar or Aunt May, you know, it was usually a celebration of Spider-Man's life and, you know, whether or not to be, I mean, you know, this comic is aptly named to be, you know, the spider or the man. And it's similar. And then like, I feel like future Centennial is always kind of questioned. Does he want to be Spider-Man? Does he want to be Peter? You know, like we've, we've dealt with that a bunch of times. Uh, it, it really kind Kind of just set the template for like the the significant anniversary type story except the anniversary is just that the comic in the in its chronology happened to have end in two zeros i mean there's nothing else to put it I, you know like I, I i guess when it hits a thousand you know it's going to be even crazier i don't know <laughs> There's going to release a trade paperback into your your pull your pull list. So what do, what do you think? Like, but before we declare whether this is gimmick or good or somewhere in between, like, what do you think of the centennial issue overall? Like, is that a gimmick that you're on board for? Like, has it? Do you think there's an inherent value in in that that goes beyond just marketing? I, I do. I love it. I got to be honest. It's like I, you know, and and maybe part of it is too because. As we've as we've talked about many times on this show, like one of the very first comics that I bought in real time was Amazing Spider-Man 300. And like that was such a significant comic for me. But like it created a, an expectation and and, a, and a, a desire for me as a fan that like I, I, I've come to rely on, like when we get to 100, ish, you know, 100 issues from when the last one was, you expect something special. 
Like it's like, you know, you could set your watch to it. Something big is going to happen. It's probably part of the reason why I felt let down by 900 because it was kind of not special. It was it felt very, oh, OK. The story that preceded it and followed it was was more significant to me in terms of like character development and things happening. But for the most part, it's always delivered either by an amazing cover or an amazing interior. So. I, I love it. Like as a, as a collector, as a fan, as a reader, it's like like being able to kind of like set your watch to a, a, a significant story. And like to me, 100 issues is like it's a worthy milestone. Like I've kind of like I've pushed back as like they've made like 25 and 50 and 75 significant because it's like, uh, well, what's 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 25? I mean, like in 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 twice a, in, in twice a month Spider-Man realm, it's a year. You know what I mean? Like you made it a year. Big deal. You know what I mean? But like 100, <laughs> it's a lot of issues. That's a lot of content. A lot has changed in 100 issues usually. So I I I I love it. You. What do you think? I mean, we've only had nine of them, you know, so like there is still like a rarity to it, you know, even if they're coming more frequently than they used to. This one's funny as a gimmick because it's the only gimmick really that I can think of. I mean, maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll undo this statement the longer we go on this, but it's the kind of gimmick that you expect the comic to be better on the inside. You know what I mean? Like normally when you see a gimmick, you're like, well, this is just going to be a way for them to drum up some money. But the Centennials have gained enough like uh, like goodwill, unlike, and I dare say it, the annuals. They've garnered enough goodwill that you're like, okay, like this is probably going to be a great comic. So when it does disappoint like 900, you know, it does feel like the odd man out. But like some of my favorite issues of Spider-Man ever are our centennial issues, you know, just rattling them off the top of my head. 300's amazing. 400 is great. 500 is heartbreaking. You know, 700 is one of the biggest twists of all time, you know, and then there's the other ones. I like 800. I like 800 was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. 800. I think I gave that like an A plus on the show. So far be it for me to, to discount 800. So for me, if I got to decide this is gimmick or good, I'm very solidly in the good camp i am reluctant to 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 award trophies to 25th issues but uh get you know uh, the centennials you know sign me up i would i will say that i find 100 to be the most gimmicky of all the centennial issues but as a as a gimmick it's a good gimmick (laughs) does that work yeah 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 Do we want to do we want to move on to the next the next one? Sure. Uh, What's our next category here, Mark? Okay, so now we're going to talk about costume changes, and and I think specifically we're going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number two fifty two, which is of course the introduction of the black costume. And and you know, let me preface this by saying like this is funny to me. Like I I I feel like you know, and maybe this is my own navel gazing here, Dan, but like, I feel like when Spider-Man has a costume change, it's, it's more significant than other heroes because like there have certainly been other superheroes who have had their costume changed in Marvel comics over the years. I feel to far less fanfare. I mean, like Iron Man, you know, he was in a gold hunk of tin for the first like three or four issues and then he became red and gold and that was that. You know what I mean? But no one like they didn't make a big deal about it. It wasn't a huge thing. Uh, the Fantastic Four, they had those like like the blue jumpsuits and then during the John Byrne era, they kind of changed the costume up again. It didn't feel like a significant shift, but like Amazing Spider-Man number 252. I mean, first of all, they 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 
pay homage to Amazing Fantasy 15 with the cover, except he's in all black. And the black suit was part of the Marvel Secret Wars uh, maxi series. So that was very significant. They're trying to like, you know, sell toys and sell another series with it. And, you know, like there was a, 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 cost, a contest where a fan sent this thing in. And you know, it, there's a whole lore to it that we're actually going to be discussing a bit in our our uh, our season with the Falco and Friends. But at the same time, like other, like I said, other characters, I feel like have changed costumes to, but with less fanfare. And then like Spider-Man did it. And then I feel like from that point on, it became more significant when other characters did it. I don't know. Am I, am I being like, like too myopic here or what do you think? No. And I, I, I don't think so. And um, I think it really relies on how bold of a change this was, you know, to the black suit. I think if it was, let's say like from the original costume to say, you know, the minor increments that we had seen the removal of the web pits or even to today's Osborne suit. I don't think the reception would have been quite the same, but the black suit was, you know, kind of a herald of, you know, big changes in, in comics, you know, so much of what we got out of the gimmicks of the nineties, I think really is uh, begins not only tied into seat, the idea of secret wars in the events, but also how you can change up a character, whether that's, you know, replacing them with someone else or giving them a new costume. You're right. I do think this issue was a big deal. Then that doesn't make it not a gimmick because I don't think they did this for storytelling purposes. They may have stumbled backwards into one of the best origins for a villain in comics. I would dare say that was in no way the intention. The intention here was to sell toys and sell secret wars, the comic because Spider-Man was in a new suit and nobody there had any faith that this suit would take on like it did. To me, that is like the like ultimate gimmick. You know, it's we're going to do something. No one believes in it, but we're doing it because we might be able to sell a few more comics. Tell me if I, I'm wrong here, Mark. No, no, I, I think you're right. I think I think the significance of this, the black suit itself is a credit to, frankly, the creators that were working on Spider-Man at the time. Like, you know, Roger Stern has has taken credit for being like, like, let's make the suit alive, you know, and Roger Stern, he's a he, he is was will forever be a brilliant uh, comic book writer. I mean, that's a great idea. You know, we've talked to we've talked to Tom DeFalco about the fact that, you know, when when the the pitch for the black suit first came in from another fan, it was like, oh, and the black suit's going to make him like jump 30 percent higher and move 36% faster. And Tom was like, that makes no freaking sense. How are we supposed to show that? But, but so, <laughs> so, and you know, Tom, of course, wrote a lot of the first few stories with the black suit. And, and, and I feel like he, he took it and, and, and didn't make it, I feel like derivative and, and, and stupid for lack of a better word. It was like, okay, no, well, let's, let's work off of what like Roger did. Let's work off of what like Mike Zek and Rick Leonardi came up with uh, artistically. And then Ron friends took even further. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, like I like the joke, it's kind of like, you know, that old Simpsons trope. It's like Malibu Stacy with a new hat, but I, 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 I feel like they do kind of start working it in. And then of course, like you said, they kind of fell backwards into venom but even like the stories with like the symbiote coming alive and attacking and 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 wanting to take peter as a host those were good stories i mean like even before the venom venom of it all happened i felt those were 
fun, kind of crazy, creepy stories for a Spider-Man comic at the time. What, what, am I overselling it? No, I don't think so. And I, I do think that this has like maybe some of the biggest repercussions, you know, for the line, because I, I don't think Spider-Verse and all of that exists without this. Right. This was the exploration of Spider-Man is completely covered in a costume and just changing that costume in many ways changes the character. And, you know, that, you know, we, we would get that explored probably in its most like uh bold in the Spider-Man three movie where it turns him into an angsty guy, which was never really in the comics. Although people like to think it was, I do think it opens the kind of Pandora's box for like exploring just how much Spider-Man as a character is influenced by the design. And now the real appeal, and I think the real appeal of Spider-Verse more than there being other characters is people love seeing different spider costumes. You know, if we're going to come down on whether this is, this is a good gimmick or just a gimmick, I think it's really moved uh, away from being a good gimmick to being just a flat gimmick. Nowadays, I feel like we've gotten a lot of costumes that have come and gone as a way to boost sales. And, And some writers do it better than others. You know, like the worst example is probably, the like threats and menaces costume from the Nick Spencer run, which was just one flat out ugly and two had an interesting premise behind it, but was ignored almost immediately and was really just a way to sell a bunch of extra covers. Is the Osborne suit the same way right now? I think it's a little more built into the narrative, but the design is like really a minor upgrade. And so like these ones feel less essential and less bold than, say, like the black suit. They're still trading maybe a little too heavily on like familiar iconography than like being as bold as saying, let's throw all that out and invent a new icon in the black suit, which is not easy to do. You know, if 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 it were up to me and Spider-Man was changing costumes, I would want it to be a bigger, bolder choice that like would allow the character to stretch a little bit. And I think within its boldness be less of a gimmick I, I don't know how you feel about all that the the fact of the matter is dan like most of these costume changes that we've had since have been unmemorable or if they are memorable they're memorable for kind of the absurdity of it all like i always i like when i think of other alternate costumes i always think of what was once described to me as, and the the expression has stuck with me ever since, like Web of Spider-Man 100, the disco ball of justice Spider-Man <laughs> costume. Which didn't yeah. even last a full issue. It's no. in like maybe yeah. 10 panels. Even even costumes that like I feel are well-conceived and well-used, like, like, like the big time, like stealth suit and stuff like that, like they're totally unmemorable. They're just like pieces in a in a in a Spider Verse like cameo show. You know what I mean? Like that's like that's that's all they are at this point. I mean, heck, even the black suit itself has like when it reappears now, it's it's a gimmick. You know, it's it's like you know, it's back in black. It's like let's let's get let's get Peter back to being really stormy and angry. And it's like. Uh, whatever you know what i mean like 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 there's no there's no real utility to it anymore this is kind of the the opposite of what we were talking about in the centennials where it's like i feel like the black suit and how it was used and where it led in terms of the symbiote and venom was brilliant and one of the most well-conceived ideas that ever happened with this character but i feel like everything that has transpired since 
it's not even just a pale imitation. It's just like, it's just not good. You know what I mean? It's very gimmicky to the, to the nth degree. So I, you know, like this is, this is, this is a good gimmick that went bad in my opinion. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, but. I mean, but. I think it's a good gimmick that went bad specifically in the past 10 years of our show. You know, like, like I remember being excited about the new big time suits. Right. But now when I see a redesign on the cover and them selling variant covers of it, I tend to think, oh, it's probably not going to be a great story. Like it's going to be some gimmicky story about it. Like, I, I don't know if you remember seeing the iron spider suit for the first time, like it got like a front page, you know, New York times image. And I remember my parents showing it to me in the newspaper and being like, check this out. And me having like a visceral reaction, like, what is that? You know, like, but then ultimately coming to love it as its own thing. I, I just don't think that it, the, the gimmick has kind of almost worn thin now, like like press coverage doesn't cover it like that. I think it's because it's become far too common than, than it used to be when it was like saved for something. And whenever it came out, it was a bold change like that Iron Spider suit was really different. I think this is a good gimmick gone bad. And that's where I, I will rest my case on this one. Our next topic is, is one that is of little significance to anyone I don't even know why we're talking about it on the show, Dan. I mean, like no one no one cares about this. So, guys, I don't know if you're aware, but in the 80s, Peter Parker married Mary Jane. Can you imagine? Like there was a wedding I have, like, issue. A memory it, like I, like like it was once a strong memory, but it has faded, you know, like like almost like overnight. Like it just never happened. Right. I mean, like I just feel like. I mean, like I get them like living together and stuff, but like married, I I I guess so. It would it would would lean dangerously close to making the character unrelatable. I mean, like who gets married these days? I mean, like like how how would anybody find a way to connect with a character that is married to somebody else happily or unhappily? Right. But let's okay. It all (laughs) (laughs) in all seriousness. Let's talk about the wedding. But but not as the marriage, because I, I just don't feel like getting spams by people on Twitter right now, although it's going to probably happen anyway. They probably hear it as we're talking, as we're recording this, and I'm getting spammed as we talk. I but, just but see the, them outside my window, just like hashtag Peter MJ. Like if I can get 1000 signatures. I, no, um, like so look, like let's talk about the wedding issue, because like. Guys, say what you will about the wedding, but the wedding issue, I, I like they did. A, you showed me the poster from a couple of days ago, Dan. You texted me this like they did. a They did a whole thing at Shea Stadium with the 86 Mets. I mean, you know, the cocaine must have been abundant at the wedding. I got to tell you that much. But, you know, with with like really bad costumes and like the Hulk and Firestar and Iceman because, you know, there was an animated series going on. I mean, the whole thing was Stan Lee was at a con and he was like, he went to Jim Shooter was like, let him get married. And Jim Shooter's like, yeah, Stan, let's get him married. And then they made a comic out of it. It's this is a gimmick, right? Dan? Like, like, what are we even doing here? <laughs> it's a hundred percent a gimmick, you know, like it, it was a multimedia event. You know, which which 
we're going to talk about for another one of our, our gimmicks down, down the line here. It was a big multimedia event, drew a lot of attention, you know, and, and people still react to it today, despite me describing having forgotten it. You know, like this was a formative big event that drew a lot of people to Spider-Man comics and specifically the comics. What was really special about it was it was kind of like, you know, not only this, you know, multimedia event within the comics, but you had people like portraying these characters in real life for one of the first times in a major public, you know, way. You had fashion designers brought in, you know, it was like a really big to do, got coverage in, in newspapers. You know, it's not the kind of gimmick they do today, but it's not entirely different than some of the marketing gimmicks that they might do, uh, you know, around announcing new comics and big events in comics today, but it makes it wholly unique. I mean, uh, as, as a gimmick, as a way to sell comics. Okay. Like prior to this, you know, the big, the big wedding in comics was, uh, Reed and, and Sue in the fantastic four, they did that in an annual, which, so like clearly it didn't count in fantastic four lore other than the not counting part of it. They made a big deal of it, but I feel like, like, you know, after the Spider-Man issue, um, which was also done in an annual, so it doesn't count. I feel like a lot of like comic creators, like they they made like it was like special edition issues, like Superman. It was like a special wedding album. I mean, like like they like I I, I again like I I could be being myopic here, but I feel like like Spider-Man doing it when he did it kind of like set the bar. I mean to. to you know, for others, I mean, there was there's even a variant cover for this. There's like the there's a version of the cover with Peter and MJ in civilian clothes, and then there's you know Spider Man marrying Mary Jane, which is just kind of weird if you think about it. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> no, no. I I, I mean, I, this this is a, an early appearance of like a, an early variant. I mean, is this the first variant in, in the it, comics? It might, it, it might be, or or among the first for sure. And, and, you know, in terms of the legacy of this, we're still getting these marriage issues today, even in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, not to mention ASM 600, which was a like a, you know, combo of Aunt May marrying, you know, J. Jonah Jameson Sr., you know. But then we've got the the Randy and the Beatle marriage coming up soon in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. And that's going to be its own thing. So the marriage issue has become like. You know, this is not the first, like you said, there was the Fantastic Four one, but uh, this was like a big media hoopla. And let's be clear, Mark, if you read the, the comics at the time, this felt like completely out of nowhere for these characters. Not that it was entirely unbelievable. And we've done a whole episode with our wives uh, 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 on, on on this uh, issue. But, you know, if you were reading it in real time. The issue that came out prior to this featured Peter sleeping with Felicia. You know, so like, yeah, it's not outside the realm of believability that like Peter and MJ had gotten to this point, you know, sharing their their uh, secrets with each other and maturing as characters that they could get married. But this was not a natural progression for the story in this exact moment. I mean, how could it be? Isn't like MJ like a sister to Peter? I mean, it's just very strange. Uh, <laughs> You're looking to really start something here. So like, uh, what, 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 what do you think? I mean, like we've not gotten Peter marrying somebody else. This is not an ongoing gimmick. Like, you know, do we think this comic, uh, which is undoubtedly a gimmick, has it become good or was it good? 
Look, I'm just going to like lean into like my heel tendencies here. Like I am like, I'm like, I'm just full blown like Doc Ock here when I talk about like the marriage and stuff. Like to me, this is, this is all a gimmick. I mean, like it was very, to me, it was poorly set up from the get go. I mean, it was also like, I don't think we mentioned, like it was meant to kind of synchronize with the the comic book newspaper strip like that was part of the reason why like they wanted to do oh well we'll get we'll get them married in one of them we'll get them married in the other and like you said like you know i i, I feel like like marriage comics in general it, you know it's kind of like when you're, you're watching like a vaudevillian comedy and they wheel out a big cake it's like you know that someone is going to like end up in the cake like that's the only it's the only purpose for the cake to exist and i feel like with a superhero wedding its only purpose is for like the villain to show up and crash it you know what i mean like that's that's <laughs> that's why you have weddings and superhero comics like it's not it's got nothing to actually do with like character development it's to set up another story you know to me this is very gimmicky not saying the marriage was gimmicky but the wedding issue is gimmicky and i i to me like i i don't see a lot of long-term value from a storyline quality standpoint with issues like these Do do you agree am i am i being too heelish here or what do you think there's just so much to unpack here, you know, like, and how do you separate the wedding from the marriage entirely? Like there's a really great case to be made that like the character of MJ, as we know, it would not have the lasting power that it that she has without this issue. Um, like something about being elevated to Peter Parker's wife makes her like much more essential part of the cast. Cause remember she had been like in and out of the cast and missing for, 50 plus issues at a time, you know, uh, prior to coming back and in the Stern run, you know, this kind of solidifies her there. And and without this, I don't think we get like, you know, the Mary Jane in the Spider-Man movies, you know, like we, we don't see the character with the kind of pop culture status that she has, which I think a lot of it is bestowed upon how big of a by how big of a deal they made out of this. So, you know, is it a gimmick? Yes. Has there been good side effects of said gimmick? Absolutely. You know, and as much as there are, you know, the things that drive us crazy about like the people who have maybe put too much into the Peter and MJ marriage. But, you know, for me, like I, I, I like my, my Peter Parker uh, uh, with Mary Jane. I think it's like, you know, one of the all time relationships. And I do think that that relationship doesn't exist in the way that it does without an issue like this, you know, being in our mind. And like, there is something about something that pervades its greater pop culture that has a way of almost like, like calcifying uh, something. It's a gimmick and I'll say it's good. Fine. I don't know. It's a really weird one to to weigh in on. Don't do this every week. Like he shouldn't be married many times. In fact, he probably shouldn't have been married altogether, but like, if it means getting like MJ as like a core part of Spider-Man lore, I'm actually I'm for that. I'm for okay. That. All right, all right. You 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 took me on a journey there, Dan, and that's 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 what we would expect in a 10th anniversary episode. All right. So so let's talk about the the the, the new number one. I mean, like, look, we almost had that today when we talked about, you know, we, we had available Alan ready to come on as a superstar creative team. I would think, you know, like, I mean, he, he used to edit 
the film section of the Village Voice. I mean, who are you, Dan? I mean, like, you know, like you can't you can't get new number one better than that. Right. I mean, <laughs> so it would have been a real upgrade for the show. And I'm I'm sorry that I'm not actually deceased Dan Gavaston. It, it would you know, maybe I just moved to San Francisco with my wife and child and leave you and Alan, you know, to, to continue here. I mean, like it would have been it, it was it was the move that should have happened. But nobody higher up like was daring enough to pull it off. You know, I, they had to bring me back. But what, what, what are you going to do? But, 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 but beyond that, I'm actually talking about the, the launch of adjectivalist Spider-Man number one by writer artists, Todd McFarlane, who prior to this was, was artist Todd McFarlane, but what we wanted to get him to write as well. So we could sell as many sweet, sweet comics as we can. And they did. It was at the time the the greatest selling comic of all time until it was displaced by Jim Lee and Chris Claremont's X Men number one, adjectiveless X Men number one. I, I guess that was the gimmick was they just took the adjective out, but no, but it was also like <laughs> the new series with the multiple variant covers with like the big superstar artists and or writer creative combos and and like like this was early, early nineties when they did this. And like Spider-Man number one is about as supernova as it gets in terms of like comics. But, but what can we say about the comics inside Dan besides doom, 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 doom. Cause that's all I think of when I think of these comics. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not bad comics, but they're not good comics. You're very generous, Mark? Dan. I, I, <laughs> I mean, for full disclosure, Spider-Man number one was actually the debut of my gimmick or good column. And I, I came firmly on the side of, of gimmick for this comic. I was taking it from the advantage of we had a gold cover, a silver cover, a platinum cover. Then we had variants that weren't actually variants. Like there was the, the blue lizard variant. Are you familiar with this, Dan? Yes, I'm. I am familiar with it. Yeah, it's, it's on my like look to find list. Yeah, it's a it's a printing error, folks. A printing yeah, error. Yeah. There was too much cyan in the in the in the printer, <laughs> and the lizard looks a little bluer than he should have. And and someone decided that's a variant. Like it's like I'm like Oprah and like turkeys. You get a variant. You get a variant. Everyone gets a variant. Is very representative of the speculator bubble, right? Like everybody thought they were going to get a copy of this and X Men one and the death of Superman and retire on, on, on that issue. And now they still sell for more money than I thought that they would sell for given that everybody has one. But I feel like, I feel like what, where the market for these books now is, and we could talk about this speculator bubble at some point is like, if you get, if you could find like a CGC copy of this book and like a nine, eight or something like that, it sells for a lot. Um, I've seen that in a cup. I, I like, I'll see CGC comics, uh, CGC versions of this comic, uh, at comic book shows. And I'm just like, like, Dan, I have like four of these in my, in my long box at home. I mean, like, it's just like, you know, like, like, come on. Yes. But are but they 9.8s? No, they're not 9.8s. They're there. Uh, Cause I read them. Cause I was a fanboy for McFarlane as a kid. And I was like, Oh my God, look at, look at that. This is so great. How many points of articulation are there? <laughs> well, well, so, so Mark, you can speak to this directly. Cause I was not that kid. If I was born, I was barely born. And <laughs> You know, so like to me, looking back on this, 
you know, not being there. It seems like this was an inevitability, right? Like Todd McFarlane was such a superstar. His work on Spider-Man, like this is a no brainer more than some of the gimmick number ones we get today. Like this number one felt like something because Todd had so much heat behind him. Like to not do this would have been silly. And, and the sales proved that the decision was really wise. Right. I mean, like, look, like, if you want like super well written and intelligent comics, this is not it. But like, this is this is a moment in pop culture history that that cannot be erased. Uh, you know what I mean? Like like you said, like like Todd McFarlane was it at this point, and you know he he took the it here, and then eventually took it to Image and made Spawn and made Spawn a household name. You know what I mean? So like, it's just. It, this is one of those things that, like you said, you'd be stupid not to do it. Like, like, why wouldn't, like, if, why wouldn't Marvel want money? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and the number one, it was not even really novel. Right. Cause like just a couple of years earlier, we had web of number one. Right. And it was just not the same heat, even though I, I prefer that cover immensely over this cover, like web of number one was not the sales juggernaut that this was. This was purely, I mean, I think the number one helps, right? It was a big part of the marketing and, and the industry had changed by the time that this book had co come out. But like, it really was like selling a book on the back of the new superstar creator, right? In Todd McFarlane. So this was a unique combo in a way that like, I don't know that we've gotten a number one in the world of Spider-Man since with this level of uh, like big name attached to it. Clearly, you're not a fan of the creator of Lost, J.J. Abrams. Uh, okay, yeah. well, I, I, mean, I, <laughs> I guess you're right. I guess you're right. And I should have known because that's whatever, volume three of this title, J.J. Abrams' Spider-Man. Fans will know, of the show will know I am not a fan of J.J. Abrams. So what, what do you think? Like, I, even though this was probably like the peak of the mountain of number ones and, and creator, you know, teams launching the book. You know, num new number ones have become, I mean, whatever, we're on volume six of Amazing Spider-Man now, and we were on volume two for the first, what, 50 years of the comic? We only had two volumes, and in the past, you know, 10 years during our time covering this book, we've, we've seen four volume shifts. This is something that has become increasingly common, but has almost become less of a, like, I mean, it's definitely a, an onboarding place for new creators. But that seems to be the bigger emphasis is this is a good place to jump on as we move to almost like a seasonal model of comics rather than like we're going to blow you away with this. I, I don't know. It's it, it's somewhere in between nowadays. Yeah, I, 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 I look at this. I think you have to look at it from two different levels here. I mean, for, in terms of the actual like the new number one of uh, of it all, like I my personal perspective, Dan, is I I find reboots and and renumberings and and legacy number or going back to like a, like old like what do you call it like new numberings and stuff like I think it's a crutch. It's a new jumping on point because it's a lazy way to get a, to create a new jumping on point. It's like you you know like the the old adage used to be from Stanley that every you got to treat every comic like it's somebody's first comic. With that approach, hypothetically, any comic can be a jumping on point if you just get into it. And like personally speaking now, like like there are comics out there. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's any good. And then I look at it. I'm like, oh, it's up to issue seven. No, I'm not even going to bother. 
You know what I mean? Because I because I know like I, I I'll be lost, so I, I'll just go back, read it in Marvel Unlimited, and catch up. To me, like like I said, like that's n- that's not a good thing for me for the industry. Like and and having to renumber in order to get a short bump because you happen to catch somebody catch somebody's attention who might be interested in that character or the creative team at that point in time, like, like it, it shows a structural issue in the system that's problematic to me. So that's the first part. So I find it to be very gimmicky in that regard. Like, I, I feel like just write comics so that I can jump in at any point and it shouldn't need a number one to, to, to draw me in or not. In terms of the superstar creator, again, it's, it, it kind of depends. I feel like if you're looking strictly through the prism of Spider-Man, it's been very hit or miss over the years. Like you have, you know, we, we joked about J.J. Abrams. I mean, that that series was terrible. Um, but 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 certainly that was a draw with J.J. Abrams. Um, I mean, maybe on a, on, a, on a different note, you had J. Michael Straczynski from Babylon 5 coming on to Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2 at like issue 30. That was certainly a superstar creator with John Romita Jr., who was like at the peak of his powers at that point before he got even better, See, like impossibly. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so there's a good, there's a good creative super team. And then you have Kevin Smith, who like rejuvenated Daredevil, but then did like a black cat series and like it, which was truncated by like three years or whatever the hell it was. And you're like, okay, never mind. I didn't need Kevin Smith to be doing that. Like you should just direct like very mediocre movies about New Jersey, maybe. I don't know. So it's like, again, like it can be good. From my vantage, it it rarely is. (laughs) So I I find a lot of this to be gimmicky. It hasn't worked for me more often than not, both the new number ones and the superstar creative teams. It's funny because I feel like the world of comics, the superstars only draw people from within the world of comics. Whereas like, you know, back in the day, I, I, I feel like there was a maybe comes because comic audiences were, were bigger, you know, like an, an issue would regularly sell over 100,000 copies, whereas today that would be like considered like a huge milestone in terms of sales that like these creators were much bigger deals. But like na- nowadays, when I see like a famous person come onto a book, like let's say Armando Iannucci is writing a issue of spider-man or whatever i i tend to go or tanahishi coates doing black panther or yeah i tend to think i tend to think it's going to be really bad uh and like i thought tanahasi coates black panther was okay i thought his captain america was god awful and it got a front page new york times you know thing like i described earlier and i even i shared it i was super excited about it because i thought oh my gosh that's great guy he's an amazing writer i've read all of his books like, what is he going to have to say about Captain America? And it turns out he's not a great comic creator. Yeah. I mean, like, I think he did have a lot to say, but it didn't come through in the manner of comics. And so I think the industry has kind of learned its lesson a little bit on that, which is to say, like, let's hire people who know comics to make comics. But it means diminishing returns in regards to, like, how much your superstar creator being put on a book re- really means, you know, Something in in a just world, Ryan Otley being brought onto Amazing Spider-Man after doing Invincible for 10 years should have been like the biggest deal in the world. And it was really a small, you know, you know, sales point, you know, um, uh, on the title. But I have less of a problem with the number ones. Um, I just think the world has changed 
and the Brian Michael Bendis of it all, the writing for the trades has really changed the industry. And I don't think altogether for the worse. Like I, I think in some ways, a lot of the storytelling has matured when it's done well. And in other ways, you know, you're right. Not every issue can be picked up and, and be your num- number one, but it would mean not getting things like ultimate Spider-Man and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and then there are individual issues of that you could pick up and, and be your number one and uh, different writers do different things. Uh, to me, the invention of legacy numbering is the ultimate fix. Like I, I, I couldn't be bothered to complain about whether or not we get a number one. So long as like, there's a way for me to, keep track of where I am in a title across multiple volumes and make it easy for me to go back through it all. The problem it really is when you keep rebooting number ones over and over and over again, you know, like would I have loved this ongoing Jed McKay black cat series to just be black cat without all the iron cats and the, and just had that be an arc of black cat. Yeah. But I also understand that like the number ones bring in readers and, like, again, it's that Tom Brennan interview that we did that changed everything for me. Like, if it gets more people to read it, I don't really even care what it says on the cover. So long as they're not like doing it gimmick gimmick wise. Yeah, you know? no, um, I, yeah. I get that. It's just to me, it's like like I, I I hate the fact that you're creating like an inorganic access point. Like like, you know, you, you mentioned the Jed McKay Black Cat, Black Cat. Like one of my favorite like non Spider-Man books right now is the new it's the Jason Aaron Punisher series. And, you know, like that's a it's a finite. It's what, 12 issues they're going to make it or 10 or 12 or whatever it is. Um, I think it keeps getting extended, but I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, yeah. it's it's excellent. I love it. It's like my favorite non Zeb Wells JRJR book right now. Like, let me let me be, <laughs> be right. But I happen to like because like I was like, ooh, Jason Aaron writing a Punisher story. And this hook sounds interesting. Let me let me sub to this before issue one came out and I was able to do it, like get it from the get go. But like if I like heard people talking about this series the way I'm hearing about it now and like decided to try and get into it at six issues in, I'd have no idea what is going on. And that's frustrating. You know what I mean? Like like I, I then I would be like turned off to it because it and I and I would not be getting to experience these comics. And it's like. How do we solve this all together? Like, yes, like the legacy numbering helps with like the long term fans of a series. But like if you just want to like check in on a book, like sometimes it takes you three or four issues before you catch wind of the fact that a book is good. You know, like, oh, well, let me check this out. Oh, wait, I don't have any clue what's going on. And now I have to wait. <laughs> to, like, well, I mean, I, I do. I do think like this is a whole other topic, but I do think the existence of Marvel Unlimited the digital marketplace, which is in a really bad place right now, and like the existence of trades does help solve that problem considerably. Now, that's not to say Marvel's trades are discernible at all because they are a confusing mess, especially when compared to like DC, which I think actually does a good job of keeping things recirculated and giving them good numbering. Well, that's not to say that they do the initial publishing of them well, because they're super delayed. They're always in hardcover. And then the soft cover maybe never comes, but a whole other topic. But I do think that like every comic is your, someone's first comic has been shifted to this sort of like ongoing storytelling thing. I don't know that we can lay this at the hands of Spider-Man number one, but you can see the origins of that stuff really starting there, which is like, 
We got to bring on someone new to sell something hot and quick. And, you know, and all of these industry trends have kind of snowballed into the direction that we're in right now, which makes comics fairly inaccessible. I, I, I agree. But I do think that there are options. I just wish they were better advertised and more accessible in general. I don't know. So how do we come down on this one? Gimmick or good? I, I, I say gimmick. I say gimmick as well. But I do think there can be good that comes from giving people a clean number one where they can go. Let me jump on here, especially in today's comics where, like you said, not every one of them is like the best one to start with. All right. Um, well, let's yeah. let's let's move on before people find this 10th anniversary episode and lack an access point because it's four and a half hours long. <laughs> Every segment is someone's first segment. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We are now going to talk about the mega event crossover. And this is I, I, I think even more than the wedding gimmick that we talked about earlier. I think this is probably the one we're going to catch the most heat for, Dan, because when I talk about mega event crossovers and Spider-Man, the the storyline that immediately comes to mind is Maximum Carnage. And and what is Maximum Carnage? I mean, besides, uh, from my perspective, God awful. It is, (laughs) it it was a storyline that like spans multiple titles, including newly created titles. So we got some new number ones out of this one, but also pulled in several characters from like non-Spider-Man series, like Captain America, Deathlock, Cloak and Dagger, Iron Fist, (laughs) Wally and the Beaver. I mean, like they're all in this book. <laughs> and um, we have since seen this this gimmick in the world of Spider-Man and things like Spider Island. We have seen it in Dark Web. We have seen it in where haven't we seen everything? It, yeah, Ve- yeah. Venom Inc. Uh, I mean, yeah, you you name it. You know, these these books that make you like follow. Multi- it's not even just following Spider-Man anymore. It's following as many characters as as the as Marvel deems necessary to follow to keep up with this storyline. Although Maximum Carnage was confined to just the spider books, I feel like it kind of like opened Pandora's box for that kind of crossover event where it was like, let's just pull as much in as we can. I don't know. What do you think about the Spider-Man crossover? I mean, to call something with 14 issues that you need to read all of them a gimmick and that be a controversial statement is silly on the face of it. I mean, it's 14. It's not even like a good number. Like, like what is 14? You know, like I don't, I don't think I've seen 14 parts of anything, you know, the, be, being the story before it's, it's hard for me because like maximum carnage was a huge deal. L- like the wedding, it had a ton of like extraneous stuff going on. Like I owned the video game. Of maximum carnage. You that know? red cartridge, man. You can't beat I know, that red cartridge. It was a cartridge. big deal. It was a big deal. You know, like you saw maximum carnage commercials and it was a big multimedia event. And as a kid, you know, that had just gotten into Spider-Man comics, this is maybe the thing that like solidly locked me into Spider-Man comics because of the cultural cachet of it. A lot of my fandom, I think, can be attributed to Maximum Carnage, which I thought was the coolest thing at the time. You know, like there's no denying it. I thought it was super cool. Does it deserve to be on like the CBR list, like the top five Spider-Man comics of all time, which I think it was nominated or listed as 
No, it's not a good story. Now, it's it be- a better story than some of the other crossover events we've gotten. There's at least a heart or like a like a like a thematic idea to this story, which I think has been largely forgotten in the years since. This is like a solid gimmick and not a good one. You know, like uh, if there is one that is probably the most uh, has the most negative consequences associated with it to the Spider-Man line and probably the Marvel line in general, it would be Maximum Carnage. Like, I, like I, I can't think of, we just got done talking about Dark Web. I can't think of something that when it shows up, this like multi-line-wide thing, like that I hate more than this gimmick. You know, the essential reading across multiple titles. The only other time that I feel like this has been done well is in the Superior era, And even those weren't essential reading. That was just a line of really good books that were like, had their heart pumping from a really good idea managed by an editorial team that like made sure that every book was quality. That is the odd duck. Like for the most part, it is mostly garbage. I was going to say Spider Island because like I, 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 I enjoyed the, the breath of Spider Island, which like, it was funny, like, like, that storyline came out very early in my chasing amazing days. And like, I, I I remember writing about it in terms of through the prism of, Oh God, but maximum carnage, what is this going to be? You know what I mean? Cause like I, 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 I had, I had scars for maximum carnage. Important to note on that spider Island note is it's the same writers and editorial team. So who pulled it off twice? Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it just that Maximum Carnage itself as a concept, as a storyline is met? I mean, maybe is it the fact that like all of the villains beyond Carnage himself were very C or D list or, or, or lower? Yeah, that, that has something to do with it. But, but like you said, I think it was like, I think setting the template, and we're about to get to this in terms of the next uh, storyline we're going to discuss, of like having to make the commitment to Spider-Man being like, not even just, it was, it was a, you know, the weekly saga, but then like also these other books and and things that you had to keep up with. Like to me, like that's putting, that's setting the expectations on your readers to be way too high, you know, like, like, you know, you're going from reading a monthly book or maybe two monthly books about somebody to like having to just buy five or six books a month just to keep up with a storyline. That's just like, it's unreasonable in my opinion. I mean, like, you know, heck brand new day was three a month and, but that was it. They didn't have other books at the time. You know what I mean? So like, like, like to kind of put that level of expectation on your readers to keep up and, and like, you know, talk about lack of access. Like that's, you know, like if you, if you can't even like buy, amazing Spider-Man month to month and know what's going on because you're not reading the five other books that tie into it. That's to me very unfortunate as a publishing company to, to set that up, you know? So that's, yeah, it's a gimmick. It, it's a gimmick and it's a bad gimmick. And I think it set a really bad precedent for the industry. And, and yeah, I mean, just speaking as a kid at the time, I couldn't buy all those books, you know, like, and it made them more uh, desirable you know, on, on my behalf, like I, I wanted to have all 14 parts of Maximum Carnage. It elevated the book in my mind. But uh, again, I don't think that that's healthy, e- even if it does get the five year olds out there like, Mom, you got to buy me all the things, you know? Well, uh. I, I mean, like, it's not even just the financial aspect, Dan. I mean, like, like I was 
12, 13 years old at the time when Maximum Carnage came out, I couldn't. I, I didn't I didn't drive the nearest comic book shop to me was like a 10 minute drive from my parents house like I couldn't get them to take me to the comic book store every every week to get the comic so like it, it was so frustrating <laughs> so anyway uh, yeah and people ask why kids aren't reading comics now you know like it, it there there is a sort of accessibility thing which it seems to be a reoccurring topic that we're getting to here I'm gonna set up the next one because like I think we've talked about this many times. I would argue without Maximum Carnage, we would never get the mess of the next one, which is the Clone Saga, which I would like basically categorize as an unending crossover. Uh, it's like Maximum Carnage, but like as status quo for years, years on end, you know? So it's like, can you keep up with this? And, you know, it was a weekly Spider-Man saga. And it's the one thing that drew like that drew me out of comics shortly after I got obsessed with Spider-Man and pushed me to getting back issues because I could not keep up with this drama as a kid. And even today, you know, I mean, like, obviously we do our show now and we would keep up with it. And in many ways, I feel like we're kind of living in this era now, you know, where you've got like books like Gold Goblin, where you know, something really essential, I won't reveal it, happens in in that book, like outside the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. And it it feels like we're kind of always living in the clone saga now. I think it's a really dangerous pre- precedent. Mark, you know, you've you've done some revisionist takes on the clone saga uh, over <laughs> easy, the years. Easy, easy. But... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let me let me preface before I get into my takes on the clone saga. I, I like I, I feel what's also significant about the clone saga and kind of makes it distinct from Maximum Carnage is it's also it's like a gimmick within a gimmick because, yes, it's 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 the weekly crossover, uh, but it's also like it's the major status quo shift, which was Peter and, you know, MJ gets pregnant. And Peter is going to go off with her. It's the like and this was a huge trope in the 90s. It's the replacement hero gimmick, which was, you know, Ben Riley was taking the webs from from Peter, you know, kind of similar to like what we had with like we had four different Superman in the in the return of Superman and we had what's his name taking over for Batman from Bruce Wayne and Nightfall. Azrael was taking over from Bruce Wayne and Nightfall and we had uh, a new Green Lantern in the 90s and you know and Wally West well prior to the 90s you had Wally West taking over for Barry Allen and the Flash but like it was you know kind of like I said, gimmick within gimmick within gimmick. I mean, it was like, you know, the, the gimmick inver- you know, uh, inception, <laughs> if you will. I have had some what you would refer to as revisionist history with the Clone Saga, not so much because I like the Clone Saga now, but like, you know, I, I feel like I, I am one of those people, you know, I'm probably the reason why they have brought back Ben Riley <laughs> because I'm one of those people who's like, actually... There is some good value stories to be mined from the Clone Saga. As a whole, it is a failure. And and the the gimmick, the most gimmicky gimmick that ever gimmicked. Like let's 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 just put that out there. But like there are individual stories and mini arcs within the Clone Saga where you're like, actually, that's a really interesting point. Or it's that, so know. gimmicky, it had to gimmick itself out of existence. You know, like, like it was so gimmicky that like they got so trapped in the gimmick, they had to come up with a gimmick to get them out of it, which is like resurrecting a, a long dead character and undoing the gimmick that was selling the books by saying, actually, Ben Riley isn't Peter Parker. 
you know, like all of that nonsense, you know, which is typically how Spider-Man mysteries end in, in, in some kind of weird gimmick. It's hard for me to really come down and say this is a good gimmick because it's the thing that drove me out of comics as a young person or out of like collecting comics as an ongoing medium as a young person. I mean, in many ways it's responsible for me going into back issues, which was a wonderful discovery, but I don't think that's the, I don't think that was the aim that they had at the time. And at the same time, I had to acknowledge my experience of this wasn't typical sales went way up during this gimmick. And so more people were reading this stuff than ever before until a point in which case, you know, the book, you know, was one of the last string like hold ons as Marvel was going bankrupt. And then you saw the Spider-Man line just completely flatline. I don't know if it was because of this gimmick, you know, I think it was fairly well received at the time. I, I don't know, Mark, where do you come down on this? Like, you know, it, I would, I don't want them to continue doing clone sagas, even though I said, I feel we like get, we're in we, the we seem like we get saga. one every few years though, you know, it's like true. It's, yeah. I side solidly. This is a, this is a, this is the, gimmick of all gimmicks no i agree it's 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 the gimmick of all gimmicks it's the most dangerous precedent i think we have in spider-man comics i mean you know like and frankly one that you know we we it established a template that i think we got in kindred a few years ago which is this idea of like well something seems to be sparking an interest how do we keep it going because people are are into it and want to buy comics I mean, including including the threat of a major status quo shift that was never ultimately never realized. Right. Um, and, and it was just a way to sell books. Yeah. But yeah, like you, Dan, like this took me out of comics for a while. I mean, like there there is a very distinct period that I talk about on Chasing Amazing where I just stopped buying comics altogether. I mean, it was the combination of Again, the accessibility, just the 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 burnout of the comics, the the incomprehensibility of the story itself, that really didn't get picked up again until the JMS era on Spider-Man. So, like, I mean, that's like a five-year gap. I mean, you know, like being in college didn't help either because, again, like you got a, a lot of what was going on in my life at the time. But like, well, that beer that beer money uh, uh, took away <laughs> from the comics money. I mean, you know, right, exactly. This this is this is a gimmick that's going on. It continues in your life, Mark. I I mean, well, now I can have both, you know, like that's the bottom Look at line. that. Uh, a true adult. Uh, a true adult can have I mean, both beer and their superhero comics. All right. Anywho, <laughs> I'm on gimmick. Let's go on. Is this, a, is this our last one? Yes, it is our last yes. one. And Dan, like this is kind of the gimmick. And this is a fitting finale here that brought us together, don't you think? Yeah, and started off this episode, which is the death of a hero. Uh, this is me casting myself as the hero. The, so we, we we are talking about Amazing Spider-Man 700 and Superior Spider-Man number one, although certainly not the first time that Spider-Man died. You know, like, uh, you know, the other one was just a few years earlier in, in the other storyline where we got new powers and the death of a hero. And that's certainly a gimmick. So talk, we, like, I think less successful than the kind of maybe it, maybe it predating the Twitter era ASM 700 and superior Spider-Man one felt like the real death of a hero. 
and then launching a series on the back of that. It's Nightfall on steroids. It's the darker hero on the death of the main hero. You know, it it's it's a huge gimmick to sell a bunch of of comics, and it sold a lot of comics. But I dare say, Mark, this one is a good gimmick because it came from the story first. There was this was not an editorially pushed thing. This was Dan Slott saying, "I've got a great idea for a story," and letting that story dictate the number one and everything that came afterwards. Uh, wh- what say you? On its face, this is one hundred percent a gimmick. You know, like I, 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 you're 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 killing a hero, even though everybody knows that that is a, a a very finite proposition you know like like no one thought no one except the craziest looniest spider-man fans who are probably now you know complaining about the marriage on twitter thought that this was real you know <laughs> or, or 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 real in the long term you know what i mean like like you know despite despite dan slot going to to comic cons and being like he's dead 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 i tell you you know I mean, it, no one thought he was dead in fact i mean i was like oh, isn't there a new amazing spider-man movie coming out in 2014 i bet he's alive by then literally the month the movie comes out he's alive um, I, I will say though mark i remember and i i do hold this over you every every few shows uh, which is your blog post saying like I'm going to quit collecting Amazing Spider-Man comics after 700. It's the end of my. I consider it the end of my run, right? Mm. And you you had a huge mea culpa because and and I don't blame you for this because you saw it as the gimmick, right? You were like this has to be the gimmick, and then the story won you over, right? And so you kind of like backtracked on like are they willing to lean into this gimmick so hard that they're going to kill off the hero and be kind of shitty about it. And then you realize there's actually a story here. So do you want to talk about that at all? I know you've talked about it on the show before, but like it does lean hard into our gimmick conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look like that, that that's, that is the key right there, Dan. I mean, it was like, if this was just like a gimmick designed to juice sales that didn't actually have any like heart and soul to it, then yeah, it, 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 I don't know if it would have completely killed off my interest in the character, but it would have really dampened it significantly. You know what I mean? Like, I think at that point I would have been like, all right, well, let me just go collect, you know, my remaining back issues that I had at that point, which was like a, a small handful and, you know, I'll never like do something stupid, like launch a podcast about this character because like, who would, <laughs> what, what would I even talk about? And who would be the person I would even talk to? Certainly but, not the guy leaving weird comments in my, in my, in my posts. Absolutely not. But the, and I think you even commented on that post about like, like the prelude to 700. I was like, what is this? But like, I think like, it's worth noting too, like, I think like, Amazing Spider-Man was at like 694 or 695 at that point. Like I hadn't like we hadn't even gotten to dying wish yet. Okay. So like let's let's be real here. But yeah, like the story hooked me because it was like, okay, they're gonna do something really interesting here and different. And it's gonna be an exploration about how to like what is Spider-Man and who is Spider-Man. It's it, 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 I always kind of joke that I feel like 700 into superior was more about what I hoped Spider-Verse would be than like what Spider-Verse ended up being in terms of like a meditation on Spider-Man and Peter Parker. So yeah, I I, like, like, yeah, 100%. Like 
the story brought me in. But like that is not to say, though, that I saw this as a gimmick from the beginning. And it is a gimmick, but it's a really well-executed gimmick. Yeah, you, I mean, you talked about the other... Or heck, even the Clone Saga, which wasn't a death of the hero, but it was like the 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 removal of the hero. And like that was to me, that was like not well executed, even if like the premise of like, oh, he's going to go be happy with Mary Jane. Like, like, how can you have Peter Parker be happily ever after? You know what I mean? Like that to me, like, what's the point of that? Like, 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 it just can't be. And we kind of, you know, we had the death of Ultimate Peter which I thought was was good, but like it's it's kind of a cop out to have these serial superhero comics to be finite in nature. It's just supposed to go. It's it goes and goes and goes until we're all cockroaches. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like like what are we doing here? <laughs> you so, you paint out such a such a such a vivid picture, Mark. I I, I mean, but, but like that's like if you actually like if there is someone out there that is like, no, there is an end for these characters. I don't want to know who that person is that thinks that like, like, well, it just I, goes. I, 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 I would rebuff that with 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 Kirkman's Invincible, which has a concrete ending and is brilliant at which he intended for it to be an ongoing and passing it off to someone. And it it is it is a brilliant ending, but I think that's just not in the cards for Spider Man. Like no, it's just not like no. Marvel relies on him too much, you know, as, as a character. I really hope that Spider Man goes for hundreds of years past my existence on this on this earthly plane here, uh, Dan. That's all I gotta say. They're just so, gonna they're just gonna AI us in, into reviewing those issues, uh, right? <laughs> rivet gun, rivet gun, rivet gun. What I wanted to say, you know, thinking about this is the thing about people getting upset. I know there's that whole thing like an an upset reader is an engaged reader that like people like to say like that the spider office said at the time and they were really angry about it. I couldn't agree more because like if you're still able to get angry about something being done to a character, it means you care. It means you're paying attention, you know. At least if hopefully you're reading it and it's not like a case like some of these people online that get angry because they read it on comicbook.com or whatever (laughs) the headline, you know, no shade to those websites. But (laughs) I know we both have written for for those sites. So what what I mean to say is like, you know, if they killed Spider-Man off like a year from now, like would that same level of anger be there? Like has that card been worn thin the fact that people are upset about like what's going on with mary jane right now i think they're objectively like kind of wrong to invest that level upset in something that's still playing out like let the story conclude then be upset you know like we don't know what's happening but that people are that upset means they still care and i think that that's a good thing you know like if nobody cared it means that the character is dead officially dead you know like it, you know, you have to kind of be willing to upset some people in in order for the just to te- to te- test if the pulse is still there. You know, and like like you got upset back in the day because about it, and that's good. It means you care about the character in in some way. You know, maybe not the way they intend, but like I I think it's ultimately a good thing. Does it mean that they should kill people off every other week? No, I think it. It has diminishing returns, and I think I think it was still amazing 
that in the year 2013 or 2012, they were able to kill off Spider-Man and people got upset about that. Like, I thought we were so far past that, you know? And even now, like, the people are upset about Mary Jane. It's like, people are still willing to get upset about this? I, like, I, like, I, I can't, I, it kind of blows me away, frankly, you know? Like, don't we know how comics work? Like, when, when the Captain America was turned out to be a Nazi, people got really upset about that. And it's like, really? Like, don't you read comics and know that this is going to be undone in a couple issues or whatever? Like, that the medium can still shock and upset people, I think, is a good thing. I dare say I don't think this was a gimmick. Like I like I think people really entered into doing this with the best of intentions to tell a good story as represented by the whole line at the time. Like I can't think of a time where all of the B books were as good as they were during the superior era. I, I think this was an excellent time for Spider-Man comics. And yeah, on the face of it, gimmick. Like, uh, but how many of those 700 covers did we buy? You know, like, and, and happily it was cool. And I don't regret it one bit buying all those covers. They are cool covers. I will say good gimmick and no shame in that. That's all I'm going to say. Like uh, like good gimmick, no shame. They did, they did it. They did it for the right reasons. Yeah. We're raging to this day. I mean, like, and also how much, how much of the rage is driven by like the era and the time and place that we're in right now too, Dan, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's, that's something to consider as well. Yeah. The, the idea of Twitter and being a, and, and forums, you know, and, and having that much access to creators who, frankly, let's be honest, Wacker and Slot were really looking to stir the pot. And didn't shy away from that. And, you know, you can have your own feelings about that. I, I, I don't necessarily think that was a good move on their behalf. You know, Dan, like I can relate, like I'm out there every day, like marriage sucks. You know what I mean? I, 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 like, <laughs> you know, if you can like stir the pot and goad people a certain way and kind of dig in and like on a hyper sense, uh, sensationalized version of what you actually believe i mean like hey man like there's no problem with that i i don't have a problem with that i i actually kind of tip my hat to the to the heelishness of it personally yeah so so where do we stand on gimmicks today like are we in another era of gimmicks like is this a lot of people like to say it's the 90s it's happening all over again in comics and it's all about the speculator market and variants and new number ones and ways to just kind of like, you know, push the gimmicks in order to sell comics rather than investing in quality long running titles. Where, where do you stand on all this? I, I actually disagree. I, I, I feel like we were probably more in that era, maybe even when we first started the show than we are now. I, I, I feel like it's kind of been tempered now. I mean, Yes, I, I I do find it ridiculous when like I'm, you know, in the CLZ app and I'm like going to log a book and it's like, oh, here's a here's a new issue one. Oh, there's like 37 variant covers. I feel like a lot of that now that's like very that's like being driven. I feel less so by Marvel and the creative teams than like the 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 dis the distributors like by Diamond and 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 the comic book stores in terms of like I you know I, like like how how do you, how do you get people to sign up I think I mean what was like the last like major crossover storyline that I feel like really 
took over the 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 whole line of comics in a significant way. It had it's been a minute. I I think I don't know. I, I I know I'm less tapped in than you are, Dan. But like I mean, I know there was the Eternals story, you know, Judgment Day. But like it didn't feel as significant of like as like Civil War or AVX or original sin or anything like that. Like I, I, well, I, I, I mean that, that might not be at by, by pure volume of comics more than it is by the audience just being exhausted and not making a big deal out of these things. Like there are many events like that per year, you know, but they don't get the same marketing hype. I think because people are fairly burned out on them. Well, to me, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy though, Dan, it's like, are they not getting the marketing hype because people are exhausted or is it just like they recognize the fact that these aren't the kind of seismic pop culture events anymore because because the general interest isn't there. So like, there's no point in pushing it the way they did. You know what I mean? Like, 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 why, like why push something if it's not going to take over the zeitgeist the way a civil war did? We're still talking about, you know, secret invasion. We're allegedly going to get a TV show at some point if Marvel <laughs> Disney Plus ever airs it. We don't we don't have anything like that now. I, I don't know. I, I I I feel we're kind of hitting that lull. I mean, the the speculator boom that we're getting with the collector's market is a whole other conversation that we can talk about. But like, I I, I feel that's like driven by like boredom and COVID. Uh, <laughs> that's been my uh, analysis of it. I don't know. Am I being too? blase about it no i I, th- I think you're right i think it's different i think in like the 90s and early 2000s it was like a way of kind of squeezing more money out of you you know and getting you to invest now it feels like so it's in survival mode like we're doing this because we need to survive you know and if it's taken over spider-man it's only because that's the book everybody is still buying as much as they maybe hate buying it like it's the tentpole of Marvel Comics, and it's the way to get people to read other titles. Quality doesn't quite stand out as much anymore. Like, you get something like Superior Foes that nobody bought and was, like, one of the best books ever. And even with Spider-Man, you know, in the title, it wasn't selling very well. Like, I feel like a lot of this stuff is purely out of, like, survival instincts rather than let's really, like, like like a gouge the market. I mean, it's the same thing. We need to squeeze people, but they're squeezing an increasingly fewer number of people. And those tend to be people that I think like maybe want this stuff. I, I, I don't know. I do think there's a lot of gimmicks now. I just don't think they like hold the same market cap. Like the next topic I wanted to discuss is like, do gimmicks create fondness out of the pure gimmick and memorability of it. And I think they do, yes, but I think that 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 well has run very dry. You know, Civil War was a big deal because it hadn't been done something like that, you know, in a while, and it really felt special. You know, same with Secret Wars, and, see you know, same with something like the Clone Saga or whatever. Like, these felt like, and Maximum Carnage, these felt like big moments. And as much as I might not like the story of Maximum Carnage, it was responsible for me falling in love with comics. You know, today, I don't feel like the gimmicks operate in the same way just because I think they've burned out that well. Like every time a new Spider-Man costume comes, it's not lighting the world on fire because they've run that into the ground a bit. When I think of gimmicks, there is a nostalgia to it. There's something kind of fun and exciting when even like today, 
they reach back and 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 kind of pay homage to the old gimmicks. This is not even like a, a today thing anymore, which is kind of sad because it just kind of demonstrates how old we are. But like I'm thinking of like those ending of the Ultimate Spider-Man runs where they were like polybagging the comics and you're like, oh, like the polybag, you know what I mean? Like, like it was like, oh, I was excited by that. It was like, woo, like, I, do I open this one? Do I, you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it, it, it's kind of fun and, and silly and nostalgic. I mean, I, I, you know, like I'm one of those people that, you know, like I, I, I am the reason why like Nintendo continues to release like old games on vintage services that you pay extra for because I'm like, ah, I'm going to play like NES Zelda for the nine millionth time on a different system. <laughs> like I'm the same way with the comics in that regard. As we kind of discussed at various points over this conversation, like I also do recognize like the, the damage that is caused by some of this. And I, and I, and I, and I do think it's real. Like I, I, I don't want to diminish that. I think creating lack of access points for for readers is is damaging i think creating exhaustion and burnout for for folks is damaging i i i i think creating like a a a boy who cries wolf scenario where you know like no this is (laughs) i i I was joking about it earlier in the conversation this is going to traumatize you you know like like to me like you know the current editorial marketing for spider-man is to is to just the boy who cries wolf so like when something truly significant happens you almost like you're not prepared for it and you're like wait no wait is this real you know like did this really happen you know like (laughs) i think about like spectacular spider-man number six where they were like you gotta buy this comic something really significant is gonna happen in this comic and I bought it you know at like but who would have known that random issue would have been the one that Peter revealed his identity to J. Jonah Jameson. And because like who would have believed editorial when they told us that, that like that was going to be a significant issue? Who knows? I mean, maybe rewards to us who pick up everything anyway, just because we we enjoy it rather than we're chasing a speculator market. I mean, like look, to talk about the nostalgia of this and, and maybe the like, like the lack of quality not really being like a, a factor is, for this very episode, we changed the logo to our show to be a chrome hollow foil cover to celebrate 10 years of the show. And like, it's a way less attractive <laughs> image than our previous one. I mean, no, no, um, no uh, a shade to Josh who designed it for us, but like we're doing it kind of as a joke. And the response to it has been overwhelming. Like people are like, this needs to be the new cover. Like we love the the chrome of it all. And I'm like, it was meant as a joke, guys. You know, there there it is. So enjoy it while it lasts. Um, I love you know, it. Like, <laughs> like, limited, limited quantity there. The, the hollow foil uh cover but yeah i mean there is something special about the gimmicks and they do create nostalgia and i hope people like think about this episode and have a nostalgia for the gimmick uh, of this very episode so let, let's let's move away from that mark you know this is a really hard pivot but 10 years man like it is inherently a random like demarcation of time right like okay we've reached 10 years has, has anything changed from this week to the last no, we've just been doing this for 10 years now, Mark, whether it be Superior Spider Talk or Amazing Spider Talk. It's been 10 years. That's a long time, I think. And very few podcasts ever 
reach that level of time, you know, not to mention like human relationships, marriages, you know, <laughs> things like that. So, so like I, you know, I want to do some kind of reflection in, in all seriousness about us reaching this milestone. What does it mean to you, Mark, that we've reached this far into our journey together? It's very significant for me. I mean, this is, this has been a quarter of my life, Dan, just that perspective alone is, is very significant. But like you said, like, you know, people joke, you joke, Dan, that I, I, I have a very high opinion of myself and <laughs> my, 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 uh, 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 abilities or whatnot. But the fact of the matter is like the world is filled with people who are like, let's do a podcast. And they, and maybe, maybe there was a moment where we were like, let's do a podcast. Sure. What the hey, you know what I mean? But like, I, I, I feel like, you know, it's a testament to, both our love for the comics and the character and our our desire to connect and engage with our fans and you know not to get schmaltzy but it's our it's a testament to our 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 ability and our friendship dan it's 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 as simple as that like like you know, we started as two total strangers out there and and you know like we became very quickly fast friends over it. And like, like this is, you know, one of the most important relationships that I have in my life right now. So, you know, like, sorry, you're, you're stuck with me, Dan. I mean, you know, like I, I root for some really bad loser sports team. So like, you can't really question my commitment. Uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't give up easily, but with that said, like, you know, at, at this point, like to go back to my earlier analogy, the only thing that's going to stop me from doing the show is becoming with the cockroaches. You know what I mean? So, so there you go. Uh, you're stuck with me, Dan. So, I mean, what does it mean to you? I mean, I feel very much the same. You know, I was reflecting. It's funny because, you know, only a few years into us doing this, I got married. And, you know, I had, you know, I, I have a lot of like really long life, long friends that have stuck with me for 20, 30 years of my life. And yet, like you, Mark, were the one I included in my wedding ceremony. And I, and I, I don't know, like, like something about so, like, I, I guess it was only a few years into this experiment of, of the show. But there was something that I knew, like, this is a relationship that is going to stand the test of time in a meaningful way. Like, you know, I talk to you more than I talk to most of my family members, you know, and, and, and in, in more meaningful context, like what people don't get to hear is that before Mark and I record most episodes, much to my wife's chagrin is we will talk to each other about our lives for half an hour and, 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 you know, console each other on various things. And we've seen each other through so many life changes. You know, I always tell my wife, we're just doing a review. It's going to take 45 minutes. <laughs> inevitably that's not the case. And, it, and, and it can't be because like this show is more than just the show. It is, it is our friendship and checking in with someone every week or so. And the amount of meaning that that hat carries in our lives. So, you know, something about this relationship must have like landed on me early on enough to elevate you, you know, into my wedding or I was just some fool, but like, I, I'm curious for you, like when it kind of hit that, like spider talk was going to be like just something 
like that was like a part of your life moving on. Cause like there have been times definitely where you and I have like been like, man, the technology is just a real struggle. Is this worth it? Like, you know, not that we ever like got to the point of nearly quitting the show, but like, I think even just in the past few years, like and maybe it was the pandemic, it's really become a construct of like our lives. Um, so I guess I'm curious to hear that from you. And not to like overly personalize it, but I feel like, like when I, when I did the book, that was very significant because like, like so much of that, like, yeah, like my, my name was on the book, but like, that was our book then. You know what I mean? Like that, that, like, like, like that was, that was born from the work that we had put into it and, and had, had kind of built from that. And, and, you know, like like, I think that was a part of it, but yeah, I mean, the pandemic was very significant too, because like, and like, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it sound like it was a, a, a crutch in a way, but like, you know, when that, when the, when, when the pandemic hit, like the fact that this was one of the few, frankly, one of the few relationships, like was almost like encouraged, you know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> like we can do this and like, there's nothing wrong with this. And like, we can, we, you know, this is now the healthiest thing that we're doing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, like what was the first thing we did? Like, Oh, let's, Hey, maybe we get Tom Revoort on. And he's like, I got nothing to do. Sure. And then, <laughs> and then you treated him like it was CNN and he got mad, but that's okay. I mean, he came back, so we're good. Um, <laughs> is there a moment where it all clicked? No, not necessarily, but I feel like, you know, between being at your wedding, between the book, between COVID between just like, I'm not going to lie there. Like, yes, the technology, but like, you know, as I'm, as I'm sure you can relate to now, like, like our personal lives have changed in significant ways. And there have been moments where I've been like, ah, can I, can I keep doing this? Can I keep doing, you know, like, do I have the energy for this? Do I still have the passion for it? And the fact of the matter is the, that answer has always been yes, less because of my affinity for Spider-Man, but more because of, you know, God, you're going to, it's got to be the beer right now. It's my affinity for you, dad. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh you're too sweet. Oh God. Okay. Let's just say something and get me off screen right now. I, I mean, mean no, it's a, that, that's a very real thing. You know, like having Alan come on the show to take my spot, you know, over those few months, like, the reality of the difficulty of scheduling this. And and that honestly, like is why podcasts don't last is like what the, the, the people on it, you know, and, and how they interact with each other, but also like, is there a desire to come back every week? And to answer that question as yes for 10 years is a really hard thing to do. And it's funny for me because it's become less hard over the years. I think well, one, our schedule changed. I used to like, we used to record this on Thursday nights and I'd have it out that night, you know, like uh, after the comic. And I think just health wise, that could not continue. And also now that we've got like Rick and Alex producing the video and audio edits has like made it so much easier for me to to do this. Like if I was still editing the show like that's a whole other conversation, you know, uh, just producing it and, 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 and putting it all together in the behind the scenes, like when the website used to crash every week and I had to like call up tech support and like beg them to, to restore it. I mean, 
Like I've learned so much through this process and it's grown, you know, exponentially and made it easier on me to do the show. That's been, that's been huge. But through it all, like, yeah, valuing our relationship has been huge. Like, I think Mark, you're my closest friend outside of my wife, you know, and that's huge. And and to a point of annoyance for you, like there's nobody I want to talk to Spider-Man comics about more. So like when those things <laughs> come out, I'm in your, I'm in your text and you're like, Dan, I just don't want to talk. Like we have a show. I haven't read it yet. You know? I haven't read it yeah, yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, you know, that's been, that's been huge for me. And you know, it, it's funny cause it's changed. Like I think when I started this, it was, yeah, an opportunity to change the discussion around Spider-Man comics. Like I thought we really, had something valuable to offer. And I think we still do, which is to say like a really reasonable, like, and, and now with great history accounting of these books and our feelings about it. Um, there's a review that went up just shortly ago on the iTunes account, which, which, which is to say, if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. It does help the show out, but they had this to say about us. And, and this really gets to kind of the heart of like what I think makes this work. So this is from Thine Adult, whoever that is, who says about the show, entertaining and insightful, sincere and careful criticism from the hosts, not two guys on a mic looking to outdo each other or gin up false outrage, straightforward, straightforward and insightful discussion from two fans. If you enjoy Spider-Man, you'll love the show. And I think at the heart of it is really is that is that like we're not looking to outdo each other or like show each other up even if we jokingly fight about annuals at the start of the show like that's all to say like we're we're not like my, my desire over the years has changed from like I kind of had a bit of an ego attachment to the show which was like how big can I grow this thing how can I continue to expand it and I still like doing that stuff just because like I like bringing in new people to see the show and exploring the changes and growing this thing over the years, but I almost don't really care about my opinion on the comics anymore. Like I like talking to you about it, like, but I don't really care if people disagree with my opinion because like, it's not about ego for me. It's about like having a genuine conversation with you week in and week out about the comic. And that has taken on way more value to me than like, I need to make my point about these comics and make sure it's definitive because I don't really care. Like, I just want to talk about Spider-Man comics with you. I feel very similar. Similarly. I mean, like, you know, the fact of the matter is like, I, you know, like when, when we started this whole thing, I mean, I was running chasing amazing at that point. And like, not that chasing amazing was this huge juggernaut of a pop culture thing, but it was like, you know, like I, I had built that from nothing, you know what I mean? So like, like, like if I needed, if 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 the desire to do this was strictly about giving me a soapbox, I had my soapbox. So like I did this show and even within the first few episodes, I was like, I enjoy talking to this person about this, you know, like I like talking about Spider-Man, but it's like I like talking about it in this way and I don't feel like I, you know, like you said, like it's not about outdoing or or pushing an agenda it's just like hey like here's a standing dialogue that we can have because like it's just reliable and we're both coming at it for pure good reasons and you know like i think frankly our listeners 
engage with that and love that about us. You know, like like I love most of our listeners. I, I like I love all our listeners. I mean, but. <laughs> I love most of our listeners. (laughs) Uh, As Dan can relate, I'm very curmudgeonly, but. um. I I will relate that. Mark can be curmudgeonly, but like it it is not, does not go more than 24 hours of Mark then messaging me going, I was being a bit of a jerk, wasn't I? Like he's very quick to, uh, to, uh, to, to recant, but. um, I'm very self-aware. Yeah. And, and in our conversations, Mark, I will say like one of the things I've really loved about it is like how much like you have pushed me as a critic, whether it be your like weird jazz metaphors or, you know, whatever, like, uh, like, uh, like I, I have found my critical voice growing immeasurably by our conversations. Like we, and it's purely because we want to hear what the other person has to say, you know, like, and, and it's like, you know, you'll question like, why do you feel that way about this? And like, okay, well then I be better be better about articulating it through this process. You know, it's become easier, you know, over the years in terms of like, like our conversations have just gotten like lighter and looser, but I don't think our, our criticism has stepped back at all. I think it's gotten sharper and more acute because we know like what it is to push each other in that regard. Absolutely. Although, as we'll we'll get to in the next segment, there are some some tropes of our own that have started since day one, which just fascinates yeah, yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> going so, back, so how do you think the show has kind of changed you over the over the past ten years? I mean, certainly both of us have been through like major life changes, as documented on the show. Whether that be like having kids, getting married, losing loved ones like physically moving across the country to a different home, like, you know, 10 years is like a big part of anyone's life. And you and I are not very like, like our lives are fair, like have a fair amount of momentum in them. So, you know, now you, you were never living with seven Chinese, (laughs) you know, like I, I am curious, like how you feel like the show itself has changed you over the years. I, I read comics differently now. You know what I mean? Like, like, Yes, I, I, I. Not that my opinions have changed in and of itself, but like, yeah, you know, obviously, when I'm when I'm looking at, especially when I'm looking at a, it, the newest issue of Amazing Spider-Man, it's like, okay, what is the lens I'm looking at this in, and and kind of like building on past conversations, and then and and frankly, you know, like. Oh, I bet you Dan is thinking this about the, you know, I know, I know how you feel about things now. <laughs> I very rarely, I mean, you know, like I, I, I can say that I think about Dan when I read comics and I think about Dan when I watch Star Wars media on, uh, <laughs> and, and how much Dan dislikes it. <laughs> no, no. Of, Andor is a masterpiece. Oh, I've, I've not, wa- and I have not watched Andor. So oh, there you man. go. Yeah. So you need to watch Andor, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Like, I, I'd like to say, oh, it's, I, 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 as a person am so different, but I don't, I don't know if that's the case. It's just like my, like you said, like I, I, I come prepared to be articulate, to be sharper. Yes. We don't try to outdo each other, but like, I find myself as time has gone on with a few exceptions to, to grandstand less, <laughs> um, you know, like, you know, a good Mark Rand is still a good Mark Rand. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's I, half like, the reason I show up. I, I mean, yeah. How is Mark going to spout off this today? Like, is that a disappointing response? <laughs> I don't no, know. No, I, no, no, <laughs> um, I, You know, I like beyond even like working with each other, like which, uh, 
frankly, I think is like, you know, it can be a challenge in a marriage, right? Like, uh, like the unsung heroes, I think of the show are largely our wives who like hold down the fort while we're, we're doing this have allowed us this regularity, you know, like it, it is time away from our families that goes, I think like it's kind of a thankless, you know, position. So like it, it has made me a better negotiator in terms of like how I, I think use my time, you know, uh, and, and what the value of, of that is, you know, like um, if I didn't find this show super valuable, it would not c- carve out the amount of time that it does. And it is increasingly carved out less. I used to spend like 40 hours a week on maintaining the show and the website and the editing and the behind the scenes stuff. Cause frankly, I w- wasn't good at it. I mean, I've learned so much tech stuff, but like in terms of looking at comics differently, having all of the creators on the show over the years, you know, each one has provided a different lens to look at these comics through, which makes me like, I don't know if it makes me more precious or like, or less precious about the comics, but I I can see things for what they are. It's made me less reactive. I think to things I like, you know, I, I mentioned the Tom Brennan interview a bunch of times on this episode and I would encourage people if they haven't listened to it to listen to it because I think it provides a perspective that a lot of comics readers aren't thinking about when they go into reading books or seeing how things are published or marketed or, you know, and that's not to say it, it tempers my criticism, but like I, I, I think about so much more when I look at something. And frankly, if I didn't look at things differently the way I did 10 years ago, I would consider the show largely a failure, you know, like you're watching like the development, whether I'm learning about the history of something from you, because I still think that you are the master historian here. Even if I get to be the, the nerdy nitpick guy, like I'm learning about the comics industry from you, from people that have been on the show. And I'm learning about like approaches to art and, and marketing and merchandising and culture. I went to, I went to grad school during the show. I got, I'm I've gotten way more in a year of this show (laughs) of doing the show than I get out out of a year in dedicated school. Like doing this has been an incredibly educational experience for me from, from every vantage point, like how I upload things or who I bring in, who, what does it mean to be a collaborator? You know, that has been a huge change for me. And I think it has impacted every aspect of my life. Um, It's made me a more curious person and a more worldly person and all through just viewing it through the lens of Spider-Man. But I think at the heart of it, I'm still a fan. And that's the thing that makes me most happy is I can wear so many different hats, so to speak. So what, what do you think are some of the biggest changes like uh, for our show over the 10 years? You know, like, it, you know, looking back, you know, yes, we're, we're, we're going to listen to some early clips from the show and see how things maybe haven't changed quite as much as we might think they have uh, have there been some big like moments where you're like this is the moment where the show really took on a different life or you know th- has been, this is a moment that has come to define who we are as a show whether it's the first time we talked about canadian bacon or or otherwise this this might seem obvious dan but like to me like the biggest game changer was when we went to the truly seasonal content format and and it was such an obvious content decision to make but 
you know, frankly, prior to that, we, we, let's be real. We didn't know how long this experiment would last. I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe you thought it would go forever. I, I mean, like I didn't, I, I'm not, I, I know. And that's not, no, you, knocking you, 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 you famously said when we started, if I'm doing this in five years, something has gone wrong. <laughs> exactly. Now it's twice that and probably infinite times that there's a part of me that's like, oh man, what's going to happen What's going to happen when we finally catch up? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like when we, <laughs> it's like, you know, when, when we get to, when we get to the launch of superior in the seasonal format, then what? But like, that's, we're well, still we'll a few readjust years out. our dentures and, and we'll figure out something. New. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But like, yeah, it's just like, but to me, like that gave us a certain focus and, and structure that the show was lacking to that point. Like, cause uh, you know, really we had the essentials, but other than that, it was like, well, we'll, we'll talk about the new epi- the new issue, and then, oh, like here's a flashback to a comic that kind of ties into this, or you know what I mean? Like it was so, so sporadic. It was like a rivet gun. <laughs> yeah, well, it was also um, kind of like a like maximalist approach. Like we we had, felt like we had to do the B books and the news, and like I still miss some of those segments. Like like they were fun to do, but. I do think our focus in the relaunch of Amazing Spider Talk with the seasons was a huge deal in terms of going, we don't have to do it all. Like we we can just do what we're good at and what we're most interested in doing. Are you saying you miss Flash Thompson, Dan? Or <laughs> never, never. I'll, I'll never miss Flash. But uh, rest in peace, Flash Thompson and Swarm and and everybody else. <laughs> For me, one of the biggest things in terms of our longevity uh, of the show has been the Slack and the Patreon. Um, specifically, the Patreon. This show does not have, do huge numbers. Like, surprise, like this is not burning up the iTunes charts. You know, like this is a small show for a very niche audience. People are listening right now and they're two hours into an episode. Like, like this is a very specific thing. And But I will put this podcast up against any major podcast that has 20 times the listenership of us, 100 times the listenership of, of us, because I, I'm invested in quality of the show. But that could only last for so long before you realize, like, do people really care about this? Like, is the level of quality that we're and time we're putting into this actually paying off, n- not in terms of making money, but like just showing that it has value to someone beyond just did they download it or did their Apple podcast auto download it every week? You know, because if, if it didn't, Mark and I could just call each other up and talk about Spider-Man without putting a show together. You know, like maybe the show provides us the structure to do so. But like we kind of already do the other thing anyway, unprompted by doing the show. So the Patreon like. One, I was bleeding money putting it into the show and keeping it alive because it's not cheap to keep a website and a show and all the other things that we do. And it would allow us to grow. And so like the interest on Patreon has really kept the show alive. It has allowed me to not feel bad about the amount of money I'm putting into it. It's allowed us to hire Rick and, and Alex to do the video and audio editing and amongst all the other collaborators that we've had on doing artwork and music for us and things like that, like allow us to make the show better without like 
me having to justify the <laughs> that amount of money and time being put into it. You know, Mark and I don't really make any money doing the show. So if you want to go to Patreon and sign up, we would love it. It really all goes into sustaining what we're doing beyond Mark and I's like inherent passion. And so for that matter, like I think the introduction of the Patreon and and the Slack and that community being so non-toxic really keeps me going because it is a direct reflection of like what we put out into the world. Like my goal was always to start this show to prove that Spider-Man fandom didn't have to be only toxic. That wasn't it. And to go into our Slack and never really have to police it because our model of being non-toxic has drawn non-toxic people to us is hugely refreshing. It's proved to me that like what we set out to do is being achieved week after week in some tangible way. I don't know, Mark, how you respond to any of that. I agree. I mean, it, it, it's, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know. I mean, I know I was joking earlier that I love most of our fans, but I, I, I mean, you know, the people who are in our Slack, the people who support our Patreon. I mean, like these are like you said, I feel like credit credit where it's due to us that I feel like we've we've modeled good behavior, if you will. But like at the same <laughs> yeah. time, like like we, we we have created a community of and it's not that we're all like minded people necessarily i mean i you know you know there's canadian jason who likes to notoriously disagree with us but like you know i <laughs> i i i hung out with him extensively at terrificon this past year because you know you were too busy having a child how dare you sorry sorry mark i never i won't do it again i mean actually i won't but 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 i won't okay there you go we were able to create a community here and yeah in addition to this is where maybe this is maybe where the ego comes in. I I I disagree in the fact that like no, we're not yes, we're not burning up the charts, but I feel like for what we are and what we do we are hella successful. I talk about what we do with people who are not affiliated with Spider-Man or Spider-Talk in any kind of way with pride and with with like with a certain amount of swagger. Cause like, you know, it goes back to what we said in the very beginning. I mean, like how many people are like, go into something like this saying, I'm going to start a podcast. And <laughs> well, especially when we did, you know, like we are now officially like ancient podcast, you know, in podcasting terms. So, you know, from my, from my vantage, we are a unmitigated success. We are for what we do and and what what we cater to. We are near the top of the heap. You know, yes, we could always be better. I'm not going to lie. I find us very successful. Maybe that maybe that maybe that complacency bothers you. I don't know. I, no, I, no, I, no, I, no, no. I, I wasn't talking about quality. Like like it, it, it. We just have to acknowledge it's inherently an incredibly niche thing to want to listen to a podcast about Spider-Man every week, you know, but, but I feel like, like for that niche, we, we satisfy it very yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I mean. Like, yeah, like, yeah. You know. No, I, I look, I, I don't discount that. And like, and, and, and spider talk has found its way into my life in very bizarre ways. Like I recently found out that a coworker of mine's husband listens to the show completely abstract from like knowing who I am, you know, like I know you had a neighbor of yours that like, listened to the show and didn't even realize it was their downstairs neighbor who was, who was doing it, you know, like, 
there are a bunch of people of like higher celebrity status than us that listen to the show and reach out randomly. And we're like, wait a minute, da 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 is listening to the show. And I, and I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you, if you're listening to this right now, but like the, the thing is like Mark and Mark is literally a guy doing this in his basement. And I'm a guy doing it in like a, a nicely newly renovated office. You know, like we, we aren't really anybody. We've just decided to talk about it. And people have come along for the journey, whether it's 10 people or 5,000 people or 10,000 people, the numbers fluctuate a great deal. Whatever size that is, people have chosen to listen to us for a certain amount of time. Some people for 10 years, like that means a lot to me. Like I don't mean to like, you know, discount who we are and what we're doing. Like I said, I like, I would put this podcast up against any other podcast, you know, uh, like the most navel gazy podcast on earth. Great. That's us right now, at least. Anyway, it's been, it's been quite a journey and, and, and it's opened so many weird doors, you know, like things I think about, like hanging out with Mark Guggenheim in the, in the DC offices and having him like treat me to lunch. Really weird. Like never thought I would be there, but like nicest guy. I mean, the, the core of this has always been like, be kind to people and you never know, like you never know one where they're coming from and two, you never know where it's going to lead you next. And this has been like, you know, we talk about the slumdog millionaire experience. So much of this has been like, how far can you get just like talking about Spider-Man? And, you know, we made it this far, which is to say also like a thank you to everybody who supports us in doing so. We've given shout outs to Rick Coast and Alex Galucky who do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, but like also to Alan Schurstel who has been like, I, I consider him a third member of our team, you know, but he would probably balk at, at, at that level of ascension or even just association with this product. He has be quickly become like a very close friend of ours and, and is like, uh, people, yeah, they're very positive responses to him being on the show. You know, our Patreon supporters who've been with us, whether you're brand new or, you know, like people like that have been with us from day one who are donating as much as they can to be a part of our community. I mean, that's so huge. And we know who you are and, and value you um, with every episode. Ryland Bojack, who out of nowhere decided to send us a theme song, which has been like, you'd be like so many requests for who wrote your theme song. Like, how do you have the best theme song in podcasts? Like that theme song was a, a bop. And I hope that you guys loved his remake of it for this episode, which honestly, when it came into my mailbox, I like cried. It, it was so moving to me that like he would spend his time to record something so amazing, but also just like taking me back to that was a blind submission. He just emailed it to us one day and it's been a core part of the show ever since a real big part of our identity. Mark, what'd you think of the new theme song? I, it's brilliant. I mean, you know, like, but, but everything Ryland does is brilliant for us. So I mean, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in the, the threats and menaces th song that he did, uh, you know, a few years back, which we need to find a way to reprise, you know, uh, also to Joshua Sutton, who, you know, designed the new Chrome logo for, for this episode, you know, which is to say he did that over the pencils of Ron friends and Sal Buscema's inks, you know, like Ron, you know, just to give a further shout out to Ron, who we love, like he didn't have to do that. He gave us a free logo just because of the interview that I did with him. You know, still one of my favorite interviews ever back when the show started uh, and then asked me 
you know, would you want Sal to ink this? And with no additional charge, sent it off to Sal. And it's one of my most prized possessions. It's hanging right behind me on the wall, you know, as I, as I talk into this microphone. And it's been our logo in various forms over the years. And as a real kind of identifying factor for, for our show. Just to say, like, there are so many people that have contributed to this journey over the years, whether you on the website or whatever, that I, like, I wish I could thank everybody. It, it takes a village, right? And one last shout out to our wives and families who, <laughs> who uh, we are uh, actively ignoring. Any final words reflecting on the past 10 years, Mark? Is there anything else left to say, Dan? I mean, except I want to hear I want to hear the, the clips, man. I want to I want to make fun of I want to make fun of us. That's what I okay, want to Let's do. make fun of us. So, OK, Mark, <laughs> Mark came up with this great idea. We should listen back to the very first episode, Superior Spider Talk, episode one where we covered Superior Spider-Man issues seven and eight. You know, a great way to start the show on issues seven and eight. Random right? cardiac issues. Every comic issues. is someone's first. What's that? I said it's random cardiac issues. So, you know, like. There you go. And hey, look, my first issue of Amazing Spider-Man was a random cardiac issue. So, you know, it it, it works out. So we are, we've prepped a couple of clips from this show that we're going to listen to. And reflect on i guess so the first one here is the beginning of superior spider talk episode one where mark and i introduce ourselves for the very first time you know like and my my whole idea behind this was people don't know who we are mark i mean especially me because i didn't have a spider-man anything at the time (laughs) right like people knew you and, and that's where most of our listeners came from but like why listen to these two random guys talk and This was our case for that. So let's roll the tape. So I want to start off, uh, Mark, by talking about like really who we are. We're starting this podcast off. So uh, let's talk about like who we are as collectors and and Spider-Man fans. So how did you get started and uh, and what are you doing with your collection right now? Um, Dan, I purchased my first Amazing Spider-Man comic off the spinner rack when I was uh, seven years old. It was uh, in 1988. It was a copy of Amazing Spider-Man 296, which was uh, actually the beginning of a two-part Doc Ock arc where Doc Ock Ock was a psychologically scarred by his battles with Spider-Man and was thus in a mental institute. It's it's not a great arc, but regardless it was um really the comic that kind of hooked me into spider-man and i started buying the issues very fairly regularly after that um asm 300 came out uh, a couple of months later and that was a really huge issue for me growing up and sometime around maybe when i was 14 or 15 years old i i made kind of a promise to myself that if i ever came across the means and I guess the issues themselves, I would try and get every single issue of Amazing Spider-Man. And when I blog about my collection on Chasing Amazing, a lot of times, I mean, I talk about the new issues, but I also like to talk about the issues from my past and how I acquired them and and what these comics mean to me, just because this has been such a long-term arc. I'm I'm 31 years old now, so I've been doing this, oh, 25 years now. So there's a lot of memories and a lot of weird connections. Not everything is always... Um, how you would maybe connect things together, but I kind of like exploring that when I talk about comics. Uh, I'm currently five issues away from having the whole run. 
which is pretty cool. Um, and I'm savoring the, 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 the next few months or years or however long it's going to take. I mean, it's taken me 25 years. What's a few more months, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way I look at it too. Um, like you, I've been collecting Spider-Man for a long time. I'm 11 issues away. So you got me beat there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I'm not, I'm not too far behind. Um, but again, no rush. Uh, those 11 issues will be fun to collect. I did run into an amazing Spider-Man number one yesterday, and I was so tempted. Uh, but I'm kind of holding back a little bit because it was too expensive. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've been reading since I was five. I, I don't really – I can't really pinpoint exactly when I got into um, uh, you know, Spider-Man per se. But I do know my first issue was uh, 375, the gold cover with Spider-Man vs. Venom. Um, yeah. And like you, you know, there's I have kind of a soft spot for for that those kind of things, and I, I always loved like looking over how Venom's like tendrils just wrapped around Spider-Man's head, or the kind of machinations of that character. And um, I I poured over this book forever, and I, I learned to read really from Spider-Man comics, um, and, and that was like the real thing. And I, I really connected with the character being kind of a bit of a um, scrawny dude myself, you know, I was like, yeah, I get this guy. He's kind of, you know, a social outcast and stuff, even though that's not really in 375 <laughs> at all. Yeah, but, you know, I've joked about the same thing. I, you know, I always talk about the relatability of the character and, you know, 296, I mean, the joke of the issue was that Doc Ock was afraid of Spider-Man that he, you know, had beat him to a pulp enough times, but it's still, I, it, I guess that just, con- it, it conveyed no matter what, even in those, those newer issues, I kind of moved away from that. Yeah, I don't know if it was, like, really the character of Peter Parker that drew me in at first, more than just, like, kind of Bagley's art um, and as, as a child. And it's kind of a violent issue to start with, but uh, um, I think it's one of those things, like, as I looked into it more, I grew to really, like, appreciate who this character was. And um, I'm sure the reason that we both collected is really for Peter Parker as a person, uh, correct? Yeah, although now we're reading about... Otto Octavius. So this is kind of funny. <laughs> now we start talking about it on on internet uh, just to, you know, but we love Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, of course. How could you not? <laughs> Although there's some people I'm sure who find him a bit annoying. <laughs> they work for Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, don't go there. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, right. No, they, they love the character too. I, at least I like to think. Okay, Mark. So listening back to that, like there's a lot of things that really stand out. Mostly, I think that how awkward we kind of are, like we are not settled into our relationship yet. Obviously, like we, I think we're feeling each other out. We're like not having quite as much fun. There's a sort of like I, I, I can hear it in my voice and maybe you hear it in yours is like this kind of NPR-ness to it. A, like a quiet like, oh, I don't want to be offensive or jump on this guy's line. Now we just like treat each other like crap. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, th- that kind of politeness and feeling it out, I think, is very evident in this clip. What What stands out to you? I appreciated how, like, in the very first episode, I, like, I hit the trigger of, like, oh, don't be that fan, Mark, where you were like, no, don't say that. Marvel doesn't like Spider-Man. I mean, they were. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like, like, please, oh, Mark, I'm trying to do something here. Yeah, um, like, I, I, I want to be different. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's a gimmick. Yeah, I, I, we're, we're clearly trying to feel each other out here. I mean, that's to be expected. We would get better. 
How about that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And 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 the audio quality, I remember at the time thinking like, man, I'm really going to set us aside by having incredible audio quality. And I still to this day, I'm like eternally on that that quest. And we've talked about this before. But people should know, like the reason that Mark's audio is fairly echoey is he's on his back porch recording this at the time. Like we, we have upgraded significantly. I, I see. I, I listened to that. I'm like, Oh, that doesn't sound nearly as bad as I thought it would have been the way Dan always <laughs> went on and on about it, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> so that was funny. I, I thought like also to kind of like reflect on our journeys, like we're both kind of like nearing the end of our quest and in collecting all, all of the issues and the kind of excitement that was around that then. I think it's become like less of a part. I mean, obviously it's less of a part of our show because we have complete collections, depending on how you define it. That was already kind of like pre-annual fight uh, for us. So yeah, little um, did I know my five issues versus your 11. I mean, your 11 probably included annuals, right? Dan? It did. I mean, yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. So what, what, what are you going to do? The, the, the fight lives on. But uh, and then also I was reminded of like the loud thwipping noise and how like distracting that was is because like I used to embed links in the show back when like podcasts could do that. And like like not only have we changed the format of podcasting has changed in the, like 10 years. Like I often reflect on the word podcast, which is like kind of silly and, it, and it's only like what is a pod like with iPods don't get made anymore. You know, like it's not a product that exists, you know, and like broadcast, like, like two outdated terms, you know, like in the thing that we're doing. Okay. So that was the first clip. I, I want to go into the next clip, which is about Dan Slott writing of the Avengers, because this was an issue where the Avengers showed up. And I thought there was some kind of interesting commentary going on here between us in this clip. So here we go. I don't feel that slot does it does the Avengers comfortably. It just feels out of his comfort zone. And every time he's kind of brought them in, first of all, I think he does it at the expense of, of Spidey supporting cast. So, you know, we get less, less Aunt May, less Mary Jane, less Carly Cooper, less whoever, you know, whoever is he's dealing with in that, in that point in time. Um, you know, it, it kind of feels like in Superior 7 that the ending is kind of attached with a rivet gun because, you know, we're dealing with cardiac and then all of a sudden it's like, well, the Avengers are here and we're going to we're about to take you. And this is this is not a this is not a, a choice. You know, this is you're coming with us. And it just feels really rigid and forced. And, you know, we, we, we have to get our obligatory Captain America appearance in Superior Spider-Man. And I, I just I, it just didn't sit right with me. So, so there was a, there was a time Mark where you wrote a piece about like, when was the first time that with great power, there must also come great responsibility was attributed to uncle Ben. Right. And like you did all this work to find where that phrase originated, you know, for the record, our first episode was the origin of you saying something was attached with a rivet gun. And I think, I think we have to like, like dive into this. Where did this phrase come from? I, <laughs> I, I, I probably mind it from some other piece of criticism, which was to mean like something that felt like it was just like attached very violently and inorganically and just, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's how I mean it when I say it, you know, like this was attached with a rivet gun, like, like no style, grace or flair, like just, 
there, done. You know, like it's it's that that is the point I'm trying to make because I just attached it just like that. So that I mean, I'm impressed that I used it all the way back then. I I, I know I use it a lot because I I it's it's an analogy that has stuck with me, but. Didn't realize I did it in our first episode. So kudos See, I always to me. imagined that you either got bit by a radioactive rivet gun or you like grew up in a house where like there was a fascination with rivet guns and and you just, you know, like eventually fashioned this identity. It's like the Kaiser Sose. Like there's just rivet guns there and, and you're pulling from your environment. No, it was funny to hear that that went all the way back to the first episode. The rivet gun, which you elegantly slip into conversations unlike a rivet gun. I have to ask you, Dan. I mean, like going back in time, like what were you thinking at the time when I used that as my metaphor? Were you just like, what? what is this? No, it's a very clear, it's a very clear metaphor. I just didn't know how much of my like critical journey would be like focused on Rivet like guns. The reutilization <laughs> of the rivet gun. Yeah. So there you go. The origin of the rivet gun. So, okay. Mark has an origin story. Why don't we get to an origin story uh, regarding me with this clip? Yeah. What do you make of um, his sketching an octopus on the notepad? Do you think that's going to come to anything? I didn't even think of that. What do you, what do you think of that? I, that didn't even, that, 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 I totally missed that one. Yeah. It was so casually dismissed by, um, black widow. You know, I'm, I'm not so sure. Like, why would she hold on to that? You know, like, Oh, I'm just going to hold on to this sketch that Spider-Man made for me. Like he's like some great artist. Right. Um, but you know, I, I imagine it will, it will do something, but, uh, you know, They'll look It'll, at it and be like, oh, he's a really <laughs> terrible spider artist. <laughs> It'll probably tie into – well, it could be two things. I mean, you know, we, we've you – know, they've talked a lot with um, how Spider-Man and, and Doc Ock are, are kind of cut from the same cloth. I mean, even in terms of the the, the animals that they, they represent, you know, the eight, eight appendages, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe, you know, they're trying to – show oh look it's a it's an octopus or is it a spider it's kind of you know hard to tell the difference um yeah that's kind of a cool thematic uh uh, choice there yeah i mean either that or maybe they're going to pay it off with like the whole carly cooper's you know private dick thing that they're doing right now (laughs) (laughs) so for the record this clip is uh is from obviously the the first episode where in in the comic like as like Dr. Octopus is like, you know, subsiding and like, you know, and letting ghost Peter act ghost Peter controls his hand to have him draw an octopus that looks like a spider and black widow sees it. Look, I, like I, I think the origin here is very clear. Mark, do you want to spell it out? Are you saying in terms of you and your obsession in trying to find like the deeper meaning in things. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then your reaction to it, which is yeah, one of like, I'm going to try to go with I'm this, gonna, but uh, I don't want to. No. I, like, what, what do you want me to do? Make a prediction? No. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and for the record, nothing ever came of, the, of the, the, the spider octopus drawing, which like, 
something should have come of that. Uh, like that's a dangling threat there. You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, but now you I, wonder I, why I don't engage. Cause it's like, you know, when you, you, you pick up on stuff and I'm like, eh, it's going to go nowhere. Why is he doing this? <laughs> there it is all the way back in episode one, me giving way too much credit to all the little details put into these books. So the last clip is also kind of making fun of me. And it is me talking about solicits. A little too much. But how else are they going to get Miguel O'Hara in this story? And, I have and, no idea. And that just seems to be definitive that he will be in this story somehow. Well, and, I'll, and- I'll tell you something interesting. Um, you know, uh, the last issue, issue seven, solicit. Uh, this is, quote unquote, what it says on the solicit for issue seven. It says, and a new development for a Spider-Man who hasn't been seen for some time. And by time... We mean centuries. And of course, nothing happened with that in issue seven. Um, right. so, so I asked Slot about this on Twitter. Like, you know, I, said, I asked Slot about the story that never appeared, and he retweeted my question, and, and he said back to it um, Things were changed between the time the solicit was written and the issue was finalized. Those developments will happen later. So, is this that? Uh, I'm not entirely sure because I don't know how you would. It sounds like he's referring to Miguel O'Hara by by saying a d- new development for a Spider-Man. I mean, what other you know, a Spider-Man right. sounds like a d- different kind of Spider-Man. But how do you fit Miguel O'Hara into issue seven like comfortably? It's already pretty stuffed. So maybe you're right. It is Miguel O'Hara. I have no idea what that means. Um, I thought it was Captain Watanabe um, because the character refers to um, you know. Carly Cooper being the reason why this person had to take like a leave of absence, which is what happened with Captain Watanabe. Um, And I think in the first panel, it looks like it could possibly be like an Asian woman from behind. But then the second panel. And I just trail off. And here's the real question I have for our audience is you kept listening. Why? This is this is like a level of of detail that I'm embarrassed to say I talk about. But I mean, like at the time we we were really into the story and, you know, getting Dan Slott to respond to me on Twitter was novel at the time. And I'm still chasing that thrill in trying to get Dan Slott to come on the show unsuccessfully. I mean, kind of successfully. I did literally corner him at a signing and get him to talk to me on the show. This was this was back in the heyday where I was trying to guess what was going on in the spider office. And I think I'm still doing that today. And I hope in more interesting fashion. Mark, you are biting your tongue on this clip. Yikes. Was this painful to listen back to? I mean, just so much. We we, we gave credit to the available Alan Schurstel earlier today. But like I, 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 I would like to personally thank him for giving a voice to something that I had been like thinking of for basically nine years, which was like, why does this guy just like look at solicits and want to analyze them in the context of what, like, what what is he doing? (laughs) I I, I mean, like Alan just pointed it out in a random fill in episode. And I was like, yes, you are my soulmate, Alan. No, he's not my soulmate. You're my soulmate, Dan, but he, he's my other soulmate. And (laughs) like, it was just like something from the very beginning where I'm like, Oh, 
I look at solicits. I do, but like I like I look at them as like I, I they're 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 guideposts, and that is all. But you're like, no, I have this is you know, like here's the dance plane. You know what I mean? Like let's just do cosmic it. Uh, brain. Yeah, I, I just like it's just not that deep, man. Because like things change and printing schedules change and. I wouldn't be basing anything off of this. <laughs> I will say to, to to my credit and to Dan Slot's response on Twitter, it was actually an interesting indicator of just how much scramble there was in the spider office during that time. Like the superior era has really like, like gone on to be known as like a one that was ever shifting and they kind of didn't realize the hit that they were going to have on their hands. And goalposts were shifted and you know there were a lot of changes made uh, uh during that time that made it a fairly uneven read looking back on it you know as much as we were enjoying it in the time so that that's some of the fun things from uh hopefully fun things from episode one i wanted to share another clip mark if that was the start of our journey this clip highlights what may have been nearly the end of our journey. And this has only been released on Patreon. And I only realized a few months ago that I had never released this clip publicly, even though you and I have referred to it many times. To set up this clip, Mark contacted me and said, Dan, we need to do an emergency podcast really quick. Something we can put together. I have completed my collection of all the annuals and I want to talk about it on the show as a way to finally shut you up. And uh, this is what happened. Uh, I, I had a birthday in August and um, uh, for for my birthday, my, my, my lovely wife, who has always been very supportive of my Spider-Man collection, I mean, she... She was the one who helped me cut a deal with uh, the Comic Book Men uh, reality show, which scored me my issue one of Amazing Spider-Man uh, through her her finagling. Uh, she purchased for me a a copy of Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number One, the first appearance of the Sinister Six, which you know is obviously an issue that because I I, I did not own, uh, <laughs> but um, what was that, Mark? I did not own it. Well, congratulations, um, first of all. It's a, it's, and I will admit that it's a significant issue. It's a significant issue in the history of Spider-Man. And I've said that on this show in the past. Uh-huh. I've said that. So, you know, if I was going to now be the proud owner of Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, I might as well just have the complete run of the separate sidebar series, Amazing Spider-Man Annual. Oh, <laughs> And I, 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 um, you know, went to an online retailer and, you know, for a decent price, got their because, you know, they're not highly collectible. So they're pretty easy to get your hands on (laughs) for the most part uh, without breaking the bank in any significant way. I, I purchased those remaining issues. And yes, I now own every single annual. So I have my Amazing Spider-Man collection, which is my pride and joy. And then, you know, I have a, a little B-book sidebar collection of the annuals. So it's good that we both have – we both collected the same two books, Dan. For me, the hardest one to get was the 1995 annual, um, mostly right. because it's not really called an annual, but it is considered one of the annuals. That's the Amazing Spider-Man Super Special 
Planet of the Symbiotes that has that dual cover. All right. Um, I don't have that one, Dan, so oh, I don't think that counts. <laughs> the celebration is too early. Oh, that doesn't – come on. That is like – you you can't look look up any catalog. That's not that that is not listed as an annual. Uh, okay, Spider Fan. We're gonna go there right now, Mark. Oh, Spider! Come on. Oh man, Mark, this is happening right now. Oh, uh, oh Amazing Spider Man Annual. Amazing Spider Man <laughs> Annual, nineteen ninety five. Oh, give me a break. Planet of the Symbiotes and Scarlet Spider's Super Special. <sighs> oh, we have celebrated too soon, Mark. It doesn't say. It says number one, 1995. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, to me, that is as much as an annual as the, the what do you call it, one, the Ends of the Earth special I always made fun of you for. Uh, all right, all right. Except that if you go by the annual counting number later on in the annual series, it is included in that number. Is it actually concluded? Come on. It is. It is, in fact, included. <sighs> oh, God. Mark, I'm so disappointed. I look at this, and look at this. I was able to catch you in the act of passing oh, this God. off. No, I don't count it. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. <laughs> this is my new favorite thing. I'm going to tease you about this till the end of time. Go to mycomicshop.com. Look up Amazing Spider-Man Annual, and you will see all of the annuals. I don't know, Mark. The official numbering includes it. Well, they have all of them. They they have them listed by series and everything like that, and they don't include it. So all I don't right. know what to tell you. Well, to each their own, I guess. The division remains. I disagree. Now, 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 you got me angry. <laughs> oh boy, Mark! It will never end between us. If you if 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 you want to keep giving to the show after this embarrassing display from my co-hosts, you know, of course you can go to Patreon. Three ninety nine a month, you get these great episodes of me being really pissed off. <laughs> let's get back. Let's get back to your reflections on your <laughs> annual quest. Uh, is is yeah. this a perfect summation of your annual quest? Just pure frustration at the arbitrariness of it all. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what actually counts? <laughs> well, we will disagree on this eternally. Uh, you bet. I don't know where else to go with this, Mark, because I just threw a, 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 a nail into this tire. <laughs> well done. Maybe, maybe we, we'll, we'll wrap it up and let, let, the listeners, let the listeners decide. Yeah, on Patreon. How about this? In there the comments go. on the Patreon page, <laughs> let us know what you think. Did Mark complete his quest or didn't he? We know where we both lay, so uh, really this is going to be the determinant. Is Amazing Spider-Man Annual 1995 an annual? That's how granular we're getting. Uh, can, let, me, let me repeat what that issue is actually called. It's called... Planet of the Symbiotes, part one of five, The Amazing Spider-Man Super Special, number one, 1995. 
That's what it's called. <laughs> and I just want to reiterate, it's in the numbering of the annuals. When the annuals pick up again in the year 1999 with annual 35, with the actual numbers, that's what it's. That's the one that they count. I didn't make this up. This is a Marvel thing, and that's really the end of the episode. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks again. for listening. <laughs> Help us make this blood and bone decision that will forever tear Mark and I's relationship apart. I'm looking at it right now. I can get it for 12 bucks. <laughs> it's a matter of principle at this point. <laughs> will he do it? Will he spend the $12 just to spite me? That's the question. I need to couple it with a few other purchases, but yeah, now I'm going to just spite you and spend $12 on a stupid comic book from 1995. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. There have been few times in this world that my, my fury has been captured publicly. <laughs> and that is one of them. <laughs> Dan, you're lucky I'm still here after that. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and the, the funniest thing about that is it was not planned to play it out like that. Like, I just randomly brought up that super special, which we still argue about to this day, whether or not it's an annual. Like, I, I will concede it's not technically an annual, but Spider like... Spider fan! Uh, Spider fan! It was... It, yeah, Spider Fan Canada is an annual, and I think it was definitely planned as the replacement hey, for Spider the Fan annual also that crapped on my um, book, it, Dan. So you know what? Uh, you know, so screw it's true. It's Spider true. They lost Fan. All credit. I, I'll concede that that it was not an annual. Although I do think it was designed as an annual and given a different title and fit the spot of the annual that year. But I will no longer hold it over you. But the hilarious thing is just that I said that off the cuff randomly and then you completely broke down like i and I, i'll admit in that moment i thought oh my god this is the end of the podcast like your your rage is captured in that audio but feeling it on the other side like there was that rage was 100 percent real <laughs> I, it was real I, I i will say lucky for you a certain listener named chris dunn was listening and within a few weeks he sent me a copy of the super special annual or not annual. So that, that shut you up and we were back to even again, you know, until of course the, the negative one issue, but we won't get into that right now. So, so what else you got? Well, actually that, that, that brings me to my next point, Mark, which is a lot of people don't know. We mentioned earlier on the show that sometimes you and I like will talk before the show starts and have these great conversations and they're often not recorded. But in our earliest days, the way that worked was like it would start recording the minute we hopped on. So I could re actually have recordings of some of our oh, earliest no. conversations. Together. <laughs> I don't know what's coming uh, next, people. <laughs> yeah, Mark, Mark has Mark has not heard these. So so um, I brought two clips from some of our earliest conversations together that like were not meant to see the air that I thought. We're actually really like like 
fun and great indicators of like who we are off mic uh, uh, with each other. I will say a completely separate event happened to me as I discovered these is that I discovered, again, these have nothing to do with each other. I also discovered that there's this new technology where you can use AI to make people say whatever you want them to say. Uh, again, nothing to do with the behind the scenes of this, but uh, I really do think you guys should hear this to get an idea of like what it's like to be like off mic with Mark. Dan, uh, I think before we start recording the show, we should come up with a fake argument to amuse our listeners. Of course, the annuals count, but for the sake of argument, I will say that they don't. And over the years, I'll come up with all kinds of ways to suggest that my collection is complete without them. But I just want to admit to you here and now that I think some of the best amazing Spider-Man comics are annuals. Even the reprints somehow feel better as annuals. Mark, of course you're right, but I'd hate to have you champion such a patently ridiculous argument, especially if it isn't how you feel. Look, if you think the annuals don't count, you can say so. I know it'd mean conceding that your collection wasn't complete before mine, but I'd hate to start this podcast off on the wrong foot. I'm willing to let bygones be bygones and find some middle ground on this, rather than publicly fight about something so silly for the next 10 years. No, seriously, Dan. The annuals count. Any serious collector knows it. Stop being humble. We've only just met, and I want to make sure I'm clear, at least while we aren't being recorded, but the annuals count and your collection was completed before mine. There's only one thing to do at a moment like this. Strut. You've earned it. You guys heard it there. I mean, unassailable evidence that, that, that Mark... That is fake news, Dan. And... <laughs> um, <laughs> It's corrupt. Well, uh, <laughs> this is evil, evil in the in the ranks of amazing spider talk. <laughs> well, I mean, unassailable, Mark. I mean, I think I think like with hindsight, we can both agree like your initial pitch there, like really humbly, you know, was probably the way we should have gone. You know, uh, putting me in my righteous place at the top of the heap here. <laughs> Oh God! I, 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 God, Dan. What, what, what's your other clip, Dan? What else you got? Oh yeah, sorry. There's a, there's one more. Uh, again, like th this came from a little bit later on. You know, like actually, just like fairly recently ago. Um, you know, I, I actually hit record early, and, and and this one came out. Mark, what's wrong? You seem pretty upset today. I am. I don't know if it is worth continuing to do this show if Marvel isn't going to pay us like they did during the Superior Era. Heck, we aren't even getting free comics anymore. Look, yeah, I, I know, but I want you to know that I wrote to Nick Lowe, and he said that the money and comics are on their way, but that we need to be patient. I get it, Dan. But if Nick doesn't want our reviews to go back to how they were during the end of the Nick Spencer run, he needs to keep those sweet, sweet checks coming. Look, Mark, the longer you keep the music metaphors going, the more pressure they're going to be under to quiet our criticism. They cannot deny the power of podcast criticism over the work that they do, and we cannot let up now. First, the spider offices. Next, all of Marvel. They won't be able to stop us. But first, the checks, Dan. The checks. I mean, there's no denying your motivations, Mark. That was actually not the clip I meant to play. Like, it just slipped out. Now that it's out there, like, you know, I, th I think we've been really revealed here, like, in, in our truth. This is a money-making 
you know, uh, gesture where, where our opinions, we're using them to fleece the spider office so that they, they pay us so people don't realize the bad that they've been doing. I mean, look, I got my Marvel shirt on here. I, you got me. You got me. Wow. Technology is something else. I don't I don't like technology anymore, Dan. I, I you know, you're just you're whoo. I mean, I mean, like our dirty laundry is out there now, Mark. I, I don't know what else to say. You know, perhaps like this is the end of the show. Like we, we have been, you know, we have been outed now that this is live. Like maybe we should just pack it up and, and say goodbye after 10 years. Is that is that a cue to take it to the take it to the bridge, Dan? Or, uh, or uh... I I I think I think it is. I think it is. So uh, look, look. All jokes aside, thanks again to everyone who's listened to this whole show, all three hours of it, and uh, and supported us the whole way over the past ten years. Whether you joined us with Superior Spider Talk or if this was the first episode of the show you ever listened to, know that the community that supports us means so much to Mark and I don't ever hesitate to reach out. Like we are in our love for Spider-Man together. Dan, you took us on a journey today. You, you, you died. You came back. I had available Alan as my guest, my, my, not my guest host, my co-host for a while. You, you caught me talking about annuals and that sweet, sweet cash we get from Marvel. But alas, it's that time, that time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode, as well as the past 10 years of episodes of The Amazing Spider Talk. Of course, this podcast exists because of listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews that we do week to week and episodes like this, exclusive artwork and a ton of other bonuses. Plus, a thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. 10 years would not have happened without you. To download our earliest episodes, including the very first time we got some sweet, sweet Marvel cash with interviews with the likes of legendary creators like J.M. Demetrius, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and many, many more, because we are just lined with that sweet, sweet cash. Subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This episode and many of our episodes were edited by Rick Coast. The video version of this show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our 10th anniversary artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Josh Sutton. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And again, huge shout out to Ryland Bojack for remastering and remaking the theme song for this episode and for the next 10 years of episodes. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So Mark, until something has gone even more wrong for you, and we've been podcasting together for 15 years, what's our motto? I mean, aren't you just going to sub in like some chat GPT version of my voice here, Dan? Uh, I, Who says I'm not already oh doing that? Oh my God. Well, who's to believe anything anymore? Well, well, let me let me try and do a clean take of this before you pervert it for the rest of uh, the next 10 years. With great podcasts, there must also come 
The Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.